This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I'm your host, Razor, and this is Take the Black. I'm here with the usual suspect, Isis, Annie, Corey, first of his name, Phone, Corey Smith, and we have a special guest tonight. That's right, he's, uh, I guess you could call him the uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Dan Selke. He's the editor-in-chief of Winter is Coming. Dan, how you doing tonight? I'm pretty good, thank you. How are you? Thanks for, thanks for joining us tonight, man. I'm really happy you're with us. Um, Let's get right into it. We're going to talk about episodes... Six through ten, and we are going to talk. Start with um, "Blood of My Blood," and this episode was particularly fun because we got to see that there was a, another Stark that is indeed alive. And Dan, since you're our special guest tonight, why don't you take it away? Which Stark am I talking about? Um. Well, I can't quite remember. Arya? No, we knew she was alive. Um, we knew she was alive, and she—I mean, she survives everything. Benjen. Benjen came back. Good for him. Good yeah. Nice to see him yeah. again. I like Blood of My Blood. Although, can, can we? Do we all agree this is where the season kind of started to lag a little bit? I'm not sure if this is the normal uh, consensus, but it was because we just had ended on Hodor and everybody else. Yeah, dying. it was hard to top that bit. Um, yeah. It was. I thought the best part of this episode was the first bit, where Bran was uh, going back in time, seeing all his crazy visions, seeing a flash. Because we now know that when he saw that big explosion in the crypt, that was a shot from the finale, where Wildfire was blowing up the uh, subterranean cabin under the Sept of Baylor. So that, uh, I thought that was the best part. I love seeing them. I love that they hired an actor to play the Mad King for all of four seconds, and that they went to all that trouble 
to like set that stage and hire a guy and give him lines and make lighting setups. Just burn them all. Yeah, just so they can have five seconds of him yelling. I I, I appreciated the uh, the effort they went to for that. That was pretty cool. And since I I guess I forgot to mention Corey's second of his name, Corey Smith. I do apologize yeah, yeah, for cool. leaving you off the introduction. I apologize. Uh, what what are we calling uh, regular size Rudy? I do apologize for that, buddy. But uh, take it take away the brand vision, man. How did how did you feel about seeing um, the Mad King vision? And uh, we got to see uh, the Kingslayer. Yeah, vision. that was you know that was one of those scenes where I was really glad that Annie uh, breaks it down for Wick every week because that was just a lot of information all at once. So you definitely had to go back and kind of slow-mo watch through it and um it was also fun because it w- there was a lot of scenes in there like the kingslayer that had been in the preview trailer before the season that we were kind of wondering when it would come up whether it'd be a flashback or if it was going to be something new so that was definitely fun to see um but yeah i mean i think though we're also forgetting uh the most awkward dinner in the the history of westeros that the the tarley family is uh, well, we'll get to the Tarly family in a minute because there was a ton to get through. I mean, first you had – I mean, I think everybody was still emotionally reeling from the Hodor's death. You had Mira running through the snow. She's she's pretty much given all ho- up all hope. Um, she's apologizing to Bran, who, by the way, still warged out. His eyes are still milked over. Um and then Uncle Benjamin Hands comes in. He's swinging that fire flail around, and he's killing, killing everything. And then maybe, um, you know, I, obviously in the books we don't we don't have the identity of Cold Hands, and I, and I don't know if George R. R. Martin will ever give us the identity of Cold Hands uh, in the books. It's hot uh, pie. Le- it's hot pie. Yes, <laughs> hot pie is Cold Hands. Um, uh, in the books, Leaf says that he died long ago when they go into the cave, or some so, along something along those lines. But um, we know that uh, Uncle Benjamin comes in and saves the day. So when he goes through that vision, we see the vision of the of the of the wildfire. So we know that Bran sees the past, he sees the future. So he's the new Three Eyed Raven. He has these brand new powers, and it's a lot to download. Right? Basically, we're getting. This big, like I don't, I don't know what kind of uh, terabyte of of downloading power from Bran, and uh, but <laughs> well, I think that, that this season in particular, the first five episodes or whatever, up until the Cold Hands reveal, so basically up until one through five felt almost like a separate season. Uh, Gotta be, yeah. It's just well, this is probably similar to how next season and then quote unquote the final season, not the second half of next season, is is gonna feel as well because they really tied up a lot of stuff from the past X number of seasons and five seasons in the show in those first five episodes. And then in season six we start off with uh Brand seeing the future and the past and it's basically a teaser trailer for the rest of the season and for the rest of the show. And, you know, Andy's breakdown did a great job of getting everybody excited, I think for what we were going to see, but I think we all knew that there was going to have to be some more plot buildup because we went through, uh, I don't know how much time passed between stuff we saw in episode one and stuff in episode five, but we went through a lot. And Sticks kind of rebooted the season almost in the middle of it. Well, 
so we get to like like Coring second of his name says uh, we see Gilly and Sam arrive at Horn Hill and um, Annie I want to ask you were you expecting uh, Horn Hill to be so opulent? No, I was not expecting Sam to be loaded. Holy crap, Sam is loaded. Holy He's, crap, that dude, child like, has money. You know, we're talking even, we're talking Roman loaded. Like, not like, even, Roman. The thing that actually got me was not only does they do they roll up in like the nicest carriage we have seen. Like that is a Downton Abbey style carriage that they were rolling <laughs> up in, right? And that yeah. was like palatial type, you know, uh, you know, stuff from like I almost expect that to be on masterpiece theater. Um, so what really got me was, um, if you notice at the end, when we go, when we see, because we basically don't see Sam and Gilly again after episode six until the finale. Right. And I noticed that not only in that time did Gilly get a new dress, but her hair had been redone. Uh, the kid had gotten a new outfit. I was just like, how much money is Sam spending on their trip to Old Town? Like, it is amazing. Yeah, like maybe he got uh, a stipend from his mom or something, I, or or he has or he has a you know access to the accounts and no one a has bank actually, account. No one has actually thought <laughs> to shut him down. Um, but yeah, like it just I I was blown away by how amazing Hornhill was. Uh, I loved Sam's family with the exception of his father. Um, I mean, even his brother who was just kind of dumb. I mean, his brother was just kind of dumb. Do you hunt up at the wall? No. Dude, really? Um, do you think? Do you think um, that um, Sam's brother plays Pokemon Go? <laughs> I hate I'm sorry, I had to ask. God damn it! Why'd I ask that question? Hey, if we're gonna do this, let's just since it's the off season, let's just pivot the show into a Big Bang Theory podcast. <laughs> Absolutely not. I had to ask. He's dumb. I had to ask. Okay. Yes. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, his brother's dumb, but he was nice enough. His mom was super nice. Yeah, it's just super uh, nice. Everybody was super nice to Gilly, except for Sam's dad, who is like and Isis, the most racist I want, ever. I was going to ask Isis this. What did you think of Sam's dad? What's your first impression of uh, asshole from Horn Hill? You know what? Uh, being that I, was, uh, I used to be in the military, I've actually met people like that, so... Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that I was just like, oh, okay, well, he's just being a dick. I mean, yes, he is just being a dick. But, um, but like I said, there's like, there's, it's real people that are like that. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to like them, uh, but they are probably one of your best leaders because they, that they only look at the end goal. And, um, and unfortunately, you can't have your family life work that way. Um, and that's what his problem is, is that he just looks at, okay, well, you know, I want to see our family progress. And I don't think that Sam can do that for this family. I can, you know, all this opulency that you see and everything will not continue if Sam is the leader of this, um, you know, of this family and everything. So again, I'm not, I, I think, yes, he's an absolute dick. I've not read the books, but from hearing you guys talk about him he's this wonderful you know uh warrior and and fighter and leader and everything um but i just i totally feel like that you know he is a person that i've met before in in my military life who thinks that they can handle their personal home life like they do with their soldiers so um I, again yeah wonderful wonderful is not a word i would use to describe Randall Tarley but uh yeah well, he definitely is a guy that thinks he can 
manage his family the way he manages his soldiers. Yeah, and, so, and you just can't do that. That's that's not possible. And when you do that, your family rebels against you or they cower in fear and just do whatever you want, uh, which pretty much and you know spells doom for your family after you die because they don't know how to function without you. Uh, just a quick little thing. I really uh, enjoyed the the interaction between um, Sam and Gilly and and young Sam. I mean, they, they really look like a family together. Um, it, they really do. It was so adorable to see him as a stepfather kind of take the role of, hey, this is my child, this is my, my woman, whatever you want to call it, and, and to see that. And he genuinely cares um, about this child and Gilly, and he lo- – I, I mean, I truly believe that he does love her. I mean, you know, she was the first one to touch his pecker, but I, mean, I really truly believe that <laughs> – <laughs> that uh, that she really does care for him and he cares for her. Um, but I felt like the family uh, rallying around them was really awesome. Uh, as far as money is concerned, I would not put it past, um, you know, Gilly to go ahead and maybe stow away a couple of spoons and forks and stuff like that and, uh. and maybe use that for, for the trip. And, and, of course, I don't think Sam's going to say anything. Uh, but as soon as he took that sword off the uh, off the mantle, off the, the, the rack or whatever, man, she was like, oh, game on. Let's start putting spoons. <laughs> let's start putting, you know, candlesticks. Let's get on with this. Put the sweet and um, low in your purse. Put the sweet and exactly. low in your purse. <laughs> Corey uh, Smith, Corey Smith, I know you got some words to say about Randall Tarley. Uh, you're the one person in our podcast who seems to like Randall. Let, let me hear what you got to say about all. Well, Randall. I mean, I just kind of touched on on why I liked it, which was a little bit shocking. Um, but he he really reminded me of Tywin. Um, you know, Tywin obviously was didn't have the best relationship with his kids, but you know, he was a man that was respected outside of his family, but kind of a monster, you know, within it. And, you know, just like similar to how Tyrion was a disappointment to Tywin, um, obviously Sam was a disappointment to Randall. So, I mean, obviously he's a dick, but I kind of like him. You know, I, I don't know. I tend to gravitate towards the assholes on the show, uh, which uh, personal preference. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked him um, and definitely like what I you- was saying. He's the guy. He's the guy. You know, you don't want to be friends with him, but if you get into a scrape or you, you know, you get into a war, he's the guy you want to call because he's the one who's going to pull your ass out of the fire. So, I don't know. Well, obviously, obviously, we know Highgarden is siding with Daenerys, and uh, the Tarleys are the bannermen to Highgarden. So I'm thinking that when Daenerys lands in the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, the Tarleys will more than likely be called upon by the Queen of Thorns to serve House Targaryen. So we'll see. We'll see when that happens in Season 7. So um, moving on a little bit more. Yeah, let's talk about Heartsbane really quick, though. Uh, Dan, uh, you've read the books. Did Heartsbane live up to what you thought about? I mean, it was a sword, so yeah. I mean, it's just a sword. I mean, yeah, but I mean, in, in the books... It's a, it's a two-handed sword that it's he wears sharp. on his back. <laughs> it's a sharp sword. I get it. I don't understand your question. Um, okay, well, like, let, me, let me ask let me ask Corey Smith because he's a he's a he's a sword connoisseur. He has needle. He's sword a needle sword. Sword. of sword. Called it. <laughs> oh God damn it! I hate you all. I hate you all so much. 
Oh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start a Pokemon Go podcast. <laughs> Walking in the traffic with Razor. <laughs> <laughs> Blitzing the graveyard with Razor. Uh, well, you know, in the in the books, uh, Randall kind of walks around with it on his back he, a lot of times. Yeah, he never leaves. I I, I was kind of shocked he left it on the on the mantle. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's in his house. It's not like he's. Out I, I was kind of shocked. You know? I was, let me let me put it to you this way. I was kind of shocked he hadn't already chased Sam down, decapitated him, gutted Gilly, and torn apart Baby Sam to get the sword back. Yeah, see, That's, you I, know that kind of touched on. Uh, you know, you you could see in that scene that. Um, you know, obviously has disgust for his for Sam, but he respects and loves his wife, and that's the only thing stopping him from yeah, what you just said, gutting Sam and putting his head head on the mantle. So, I mean, that was kind of a factor. Is you know, there's a lot of similarities between Tywin. I mean, they talk about in the books like the only time Tywin ever smiled or was happy was around his wife. True. One of the main reasons he hates Tyrion for killing her during childbirth. So. I don't know, maybe just the callbacks to Tywin that, that made me like him, but as far as the sword, I mean, you know, he's in his house. It's not like he's going to wander around his house with his sword on his back, I mean, especially in the mass. <laughs> Butt-ass t- naked. Yeah. Butt-ass naked with the sword. <laughs> I would. If, I, if the, I had a Valyrian, Valyrian steel sword, I would. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and I in the walk. books, you know, in the books, he's he's hanging out um, north of King's Landing at uh, Salt Pans, I think, um, kind of. That's true. Handing out justice uh, in the name of the king and runs into Brienne, so it was a little bit different of a interaction. But Cut, cutting the sexual parts off whores yeah. because they tricked them in. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, so uh... hey, Razor, you would do that right up until it cuts you right in the dick crinkle. <laughs> this is true, but I would, and I would have no apologies for it. All right, <laughs> moving on. Um, so we've got Sam stealing the sword, and he's headed to the Citadel, and that's all cool, and we're all happy for, for Sam because he stood up to his dad, although it was behind his back. And we've got Arya uh, in Bravos, and she decides to go against the Faceless Men, right? And um, she thinks that she got away with it, but the wave saw her, right? Um, and this began the long two-episode, I guess... Dan was right when we first started off. This was the beginning of the, I guess, three-episode arc of slow uh, bridging episodes. And it was like we had one, two, three, four, and five of just open-handed slaps to the face, punches to the nuts. And then it was like six, seven, and eight. Okay, let's just slow it down a little bit. Guys, take a breath. We're going to bridge it a little bit. We're going to explain a few things. And then we're going to show you some plays in Bravos. Um Apparently you know. they recorded a whole lot more of that. I would yeah, love the box set. Yeah, we're all looking forward to the uh, special features there. Yeah, yeah. I want to see the box set with the special features. I would watch that. Um, but uh, anyway, so Arya decides to go against uh, Sexy Jesus and the Waif, and she uh, tells uh, Lady Crane that there there's a jealous actress after her, and the Waif sees it, and the gig, the, the jig, as they say, is up. Jamie and House Tyrell decide to charge the steps, and um, I don't know, Annie, this is where I say, and we talked a little bit about this last week, this is where I say Olena made her, well, I like, what I like, my wife and I always refer to this, to, we, we, we have a blanket statement when watching Game of Thrones, 
This was Olena's Ned Stark mistake. I'm not sure if it's a Ned Stark mistake, but she certainly overplayed her hand. She trusted, she shouldn't have listened to Cersei. Okay, that's that's thing one. She should not have listened to Cersei. Um, she basically accidentally made a fool of House Tyrell um, mm-hmm. because they played right into the High Sparrow's hands. And, you know, right. there's a level where Cersei kind of set up, you know, the Tyrells to be screwed by this, too, because it's not like Cersei was there. You know, so Cersei kind of, because she doesn't have to go down there, you know, she actually, even if everything went south, Cersei was going to be okay. So, honestly, there was a chance where this could have, you know, if everything had gone really south, um, you know, for uh, her to basically take out both the Tyrells and the High Sparrow at the same time. And instead of that, though, you know, because, partly because, uh you know, Marjorie had made this deal, which nobody knew about, and partly because Tommen stepped out, you know, basically it was the Trump card and they were all, you know, Jamie couldn't, you know, press it and have the Tyrell army taken down and probably Olena and Mace killed and the High Sparrow killed all at the same time. Like, I do actually think that that was a little bit of Cersei's plan and it didn't come to fruition partly because of what Marjorie did. The face and the crown are the pillars. Yeah, I mean, seriously. You know, and, you know, we had a lot of talk about whether or not Marjorie was actually, like, with the High Sparrow here or if she was, you know, playing him. Because at that point it wasn't clear. Um, right. But I actually think, like, there's a level where what she was saying to Tommen, you know, to get Tommen to basically, you know, bow to the High Sparrow wasn't complete lies, you know? I do think there was part of her that, like, you know, saw this as a thing that she could probably fake for the rest of her life. Right. She, she saw, thought she, she saw it as something control. she could fake until Cersei was gone, and uh, then it would be getting the power back from the High Sparrow, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she, I believe so, too. She could, have, she could fake it for a while. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I, I think that she... I Honestly, like, my reaction when... You know, Oleana rolled up in her carriage and stepped out. I was actually the one quietly conducting the army behind Mace. You know, I Marjorie's face. Marjorie never even considered the fact that when she made this deal with the High Sparrow, she was thinking, I'm cutting Cersei out of the deal. It never occurred to her that she was also cutting out her own grandmother. I think, though, I still, I, I mean, and I, obviously, the the writing was... Obviously, it was brilliant. To me, it was brilliant writing. But if Olena had just forced Mace to charge to make to make the uh, Tyrell army charge up those steps and grab her granddaughter, because I don't think the faith it was the, yeah, the but faith, it they been, were wearing but, cloth. But that was an uh, okay. Okay, let's talk about optics here. Like, it's the freaking 2016 campaign. Optics say you don't do that. Okay, and the Tyrells are all about optics. Oleana taught. Marjorie to be all about optics. Think about how Marjorie in season two, when she came to King's Landing, what's, what's one of the first things we saw her do when she came to King's Landing in season three? She sat down and she sat among the poor and she made them love her. Optics. That is something that, that, that runs deep in optics. that family. And yeah, and th- no, there was no way that Oleana would have agreed to do something like that because it would have looked bad. Right, right. Well, okay, so, so that didn't. So, Marjorie gets her way. Uh, Jamie rides the horse up the steps. He gets turned back, and Dan 
we see the we see the crown we see the uh the throne room and Tommen abolishes uh everything, right? I mean I think at that point he just strips Jamie of his King's Guard title. Then okay. later he'll that, abolish uh Okay, all right. Okay. So I think but at this the point, first time we've seen the throne room since season 4 maybe. I I could be wrong. Yes. No, it was. Yeah. It was the first time we'd seen it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was yeah. nice to be back, but I didn't do it with the whole uh, big fanfare. Yeah, like, I mean, me... I, I think part of the reason I didn't charge is because Tommen was king. They're not going to charge the king. It wouldn't look bad if they he's right. Ah, okay, great point. I, I think Tommen, it, it was, I, I kind of wish we got a little more insight into Tommen's inner life, like, around this section, because clearly he's going through a lot, this kid, right? I mean, he's right. being pulled by the High Sparrow, by his wife, who wants to go to High Sparrow, by his mother, by his uncle, by Pycelle. And it, it, it's like all the ingredients are there for a suicide at the end, if we can look forward. Because now we're talking about the context of the whole thing, I think. But, um, and I, I don't think we ever... So, yeah, I, I, I could have used maybe a moment of, like, contemplation with him. But well, I liked it. I, I, I see what you're saying, Dan, but I, I do want to say we kind of talked about this in the last episode as well, because there are moments, there's stuff about like with John and how he feels about being a zombie and everything, oh, yeah. and and that they did they didn't really talk much about it, and I, I and I was fine with that because I thought that the actions of the people around him and his own like change in character was enough for Tommen. I think that if we'd have gotten too much behind the curtain of his head where there wasn't much happening. Uh, th- there's not a lot going on behind those eyes. And um, we did, act- we, we did actually... That I, I heard the last episode, and I agreed with you completely when you were talking about John and stuff. You were all wrong the rest of you. Come on. You don't need yeah, that's right. <laughs> the thing about Tom and that made him so interesting, that made the suicide interesting, because I, I, at this point, it's become a cliche to say it, but uh, it's the first thing Tom and ever decided on his own, is to see, is, is to jump. Uh, or, or it was kind of, did he jump? More of a, a trust fall? Oh. I don't know. But um, basically... Landing. See, exactly. Superhero, superhero landing, superhero landing. And I do think that we could have maybe had more of Tom and maybe in the beginning trying to establish his footing and then having it taken away by either Marjorie or the Sparrow or Cersei. But if we had gotten too much into the weeds and Tommen's like, brain, would have lost scenes with all the puppet masters around him, which I don't want. So. And uh, just for the record, we did have that one scene where he said, where he tried to say to his mother, I'm not Joffrey, and I can't be that person, and I can't be that kind of strong king. That's not me. Well, well I thought the cool thing was that he did try for a minute. For a minute, he tried. I mean, we say his first act was killing himself. He also, he went to the High Sparrow on his own volition back in, I think, Oathbreaker, and within, like, three seconds, the High Sparrow turned it around on him. He just, yeah. So he tried, he just wasn't cut out for it at all. He also knighted Sir Pounce, so. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think Corey, you kind of touched on it. I, I, mean, I think they left Tommen intentionally ambiguous as opposed to, like, what they did with John, because I think they wanted to show that he was basically being pulled by all these different puppet masters and that he didn't really have kind of a backbone or a mind of his own. So I think they kind of left it intentionally blank there. I, I don't want to say that he didn't have any backbone or anything like that. He just had an innocence about him that he just 
hadn't caught up to everybody else and what they were doing. I mean, at the end of the day, he was never intended to be the king. His brother Joffrey was. You know, his brother was the one who was set up to be the the king. He was, you know, the the second runner up, if you will. The the what is it? What do they call it in in uh, in novels and stuff like that? The uh, the the failsafe son, if you will. Um, so he was All never. That. Yeah, the fallback, if you will. Um, so he was never intended to to be the you know one to lead, and I think that probably was you know unfortunately didn't really set him up to do anything um, or or to see all these how these things were played. Not that Joffrey was any good either. He was just he was just mean. Um, but I do feel sorry for him. I'm just I think there was just a real innocence about him that he just really didn't think that these things went went on around him um, or that would happen to him because he is the king. So I, I feel like, you know, there was a real innocence about him and everybody exploited that. Yeah, well, you know, and the thing about um, Tom in this season especially was you talked about he went to the uh, High Sparrow for advice, and the High Sparrow turned it around on him. He also went to uh, Cersei, and he's like, teach me to be strong. He didn't even know how to be strong, and he asked her for strength, and she turned that around on him on him as well. So, like, the the moment he saw the Sept of Valor go, go up, he saw his wife die, and um, the High Sparrow mentioned it to Marjorie. He was obviously telling the High Sparrow that he hadn't had sex with Marjorie since the first time they had their wedding night. Because the High Sparrow mentions to Marjorie, uh, you're not sharing the, the marriage bed with the king. So, like, he's going through all that, and he's telling the High Sparrow. He's confiding in the High Sparrow. So he sees his wife die, and he believes, in, he believes he's in love with Marjorie, and she doesn't share that with him. So, like, all those emotions are going on with him. So he sees all those people that he thinks he cares about, his confidant in the High Sparrow, his wife. They're all dead now, and... His mother caused all this. So, yeah, he believes that his only option is death. And my wife my wife and I watched the my episode wife. again tonight. <laughs> my wife, yeah. We watched it tonight, and um, again, just, just to get caught up on the episode again. And she asked me, why did he take his crown off before he, he jumped out of the window? And I said, he didn't want to be a king anymore. He didn't want that weight on his shoulders anymore. She goes, yeah, but why did it matter if he was going to die? And I said, because he did not want to die with the crown on. He did not want to die a king. He never wanted to be a king in the first place. So that's 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 what I took from it anyway. But uh, I think we spent too much time on this on this subject, in my opinion. Especially well, considering so, that it wasn't even that good of an episode. <laughs> yeah, you mean to tell me that we spent too long on a topic? Come on. Hey, why don't you shut the hell up? I'm trying, but I'm on a podcast. It's Dan's fault. So we're covering the winds of winter right now, so we don't have to talk over Tommen later. There you go. Yeah. So anyway, Tommen removes Jamie from the Kingsguard, orders him to go to go to go to uh, the the twins to retake uh, River Run or whatever. Uh, Danny rides Drogon and declares that the uh, Dothraki will go across the Narrow Sea, and this is where it's kind of funny because. A lot of people talk about this, talked about this in the end of the of the season because, and this is where we're going to cross over a little bit of the episode like we did last like we did last week. She gets on the back of Drogon, right, and she flies around yeah. and she she talks to the to the to the Dothraki like, uh, "Will you promise to follow me like Khal Drogo did and 
Will you go across the narrow sea? Will you pull down their stone houses and blah, 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 blah? But then she tells Yara, no raping, no pillaging. She's a politician. She plays to her whatever audience she was at the time. She is Donald Trump. She is Hitler. <laughs> that, that was the speech that the director compared her to Hitler on. The one that that's they, okay, I see what you're saying. That's that's Bender. That's what Jack Bender. That's what yeah. Annie was talking about. Bender. That's that's when Bender compared her to Hitler. So let's all I call it her Hitler speech. That's her Hitler speech. All right, let's move on to episode seven, the Broken Man, and this is where it really got slow. This is where it really yeah, but we got that down. cold open. So we got the cold open, and it was amazing. And this is where um, the Hound showed up. And um, how about uh, Corey Phone? Since you talked about the cold, cold open, why don't you talk about the Hound showing up? You know, we talked uh, two episodes ago, I guess, about the finale of, about when things in this show feel out of place on purpose, and a cold open like that on this show feels out of place on purpose. Much like the piano in the the score in that that opening montage in the last episode, you know, and uh, to to have that cold open, it was just so weird. And I think that the reason they did it that way is because the the people needed time to process who the Hound was again. Once again, show watchers only who don't get online, they don't read a bunch of stuff, they probably just assumed the Hound was dead, and seeing him again was going to take about a one-minute opening credit sequence to deal with that (laughs) and to figure out what the hell's going on. But the cold open was great because we got – the the wonderful reveal with like three guys carrying a log, three guys carrying a log, and then one dude just carrying a log that's even bigger than the other ones by himself, and uh-huh. um, it was like God, who is this giant person? And then they put the log down. It was I mean it's a little cliched, but it was perfect. It was a perfect amount of cliche to be uh, to still make everybody, even book readers, go whoa because it was it was a big deal, and uh, it was one of my favorite moments in the season. Easily the best part of this episode, I think. So I just remember, I just remember reading your tweet, and you were like, "Clegane Bowl fucking confirmed." And then, were, uh, and then, and and then, and then trial by combat gets abolished. But whatever, you were so excited. But yeah, man, that was an exciting moment. Look, there were like three big moments from this episode. The Hound returned. Um, what else happened in this episode? Arya was shanked. By the wave, and um, what else happened Margarita in this episode? Secret rose paper. The were the well the the, the biggest the, bigger than that. Liana Mormont. Yeah, Liana Mormont. The- Liana Mormont. That was the three big major the major high points from this episode. Yeah, we had the rose the rose warning from Marjorie. Can I, can I sing my song again? Yes, sing your song. There used to be a Tyrell Tower alone on the sea. <laughs> you remain. You remain. <laughs> You know, I have to say, I actually, I, I did a thing where I watched only the hound scenes in that, from that episode, like <laughs> back to back to thing. back, and like a director's cut, basically. And uh, a, the episode, A Hound's Life, by itself stands oh. alone. It is a fantastic little, it is a fantastic little standalone show, and you really should try watching it sometime. Hey, I really enjoyed. Um, oh, sorry, go on. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I really enjoyed Ian McShane. Uh, he was oh. only on the episode for one episode. I'm a huge 
Ian McShane fan, whether it be Deadwood or, um, you know, a, a couple of other shows that Kings. he's done. Kings. Oh, my God, Kings. This is why I love you, Corey. First of his name. And um, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Corey Smith. Yeah. I just want to be specific. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, I really loved Ian McShane. There is no other man who can monologue monologue like him. Um, he, I think throughout the whole thing, I was still calling, you know, saying San Francisco cocksucker, but I, I really feel like, cause that's like Ooh, a word. Fucking ding <laughs> I, I really feel like Ian McShane just, unfortunately it, it left me wanting more. I feel like, yes, we had to have him die because we had to have, um, the hound go off. Cause if not, he would have just stayed with them. He would have just followed Ian McShane to the ends of the earth, whatever Ian McShane wanted to do. Um, but I felt like, um, that Ian McShane was, I wish he would have done a different part. I wish he would have done something different. Do you, um, do you realize, do you, do you realize in this season alone, we had Ian McShane, Jonathan Price and Max von Sydow all in the same season. And uh, Richard E. And Grant? Never... And they all died. They all died. <laughs> they all died. Richard Grant. His, his, best line was, his best line was, I'm a fucking priest. I don't know what the fucking gods want. <laughs> or something and, along and those lines. Was, and he was absolutely perfect for, for that role. But I let me tell you, I wish he would have done something else. And I, I think I read something on Winter is Coming that, um, that Price had said that he had been approached about – doing Game of Thrones from the very beginning. That's correct. And um, he turned it down, and, and, I, and he kicked himself afterwards. And so when they approached him again, he, was, he jumped on it. I, I believe that's what I read, correct? I, it was on Winner's Cup. Yeah. Okay. And, and I just felt like that um, I wish they had came to Ian McShane because this is something really in his wheelhouse that he would have been great in um, throughout the whole season. I, I just – I really, I mean, well, imagine if you, if him. You've never seen, if you've never seen Pillars of the Earth with Ian McShane in it, so then you really good. do yourself a disservice. And yeah. also, Ian McShane only took the part because it was only one episode long. Yeah. yeah. And they probably well, yeah. paid him a shit ton oh, yeah. of money. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's great, but he's that kind of guy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But and anyway, I, think, I really... I think we talked really... to... My bad, Isis. I think no, we talked to him in this episode was like... The, the weight of having Ian McShane die in his only episode, I think, lended a lot of importance to his role as well. Um, kind of highlighting how, I don't want to say important again, but important what he did for the Hound and giving him a new purpose like that uh, to be honorable, that you can find honor in what you're good at. You know, he was good at leading people in violence, so he tried to dial back the violence and just lead people, and he died. So the Hound is like, well, I'm not going to not be violent, but I could not be violent to good people anymore, I guess. And so it gave him like a purpose. And, and you know, McShane being in there and dying like that, I think, really added to the added some gravitas to the scene. And I felt, and, course, and, uh, and real quick, I felt really good about how they talked about what happened to the Hound during all those months. They didn't just leave it hanging like you know, that the hound was just hanging out there. They talked about how, you know, Ian McShane, you know, that rescued him and took care of him all these months and, and basically rehabilitated him um, into the person that he is now. So I felt like they did that really well in the first, what, I think 20 minutes or 15 minutes of the episode, oh, yeah. um, which in other times they haven't done so, so well, or they've done it and it, it, 
wasn't really needed. So I felt that was really good. What I liked about uh, this episode was fun was because um, the way that McShane's character was killed, he was hung by the Brotherhood Without Banners, uh, a rogue offshoot of the Brotherhood Without Banners, Lim, Lim, and Cloak, and all those guys. And you had the actor who played Lim, Lim, and Cloak. People were on Twitter asking him, so uh, are you part of a certain ladies group? And he's all mysterious about it. Like, I don't know. You'll have to tune in next week to find out. Mm -hmm. And so all the people on Reddit were like, oh, my God, Ladies Tone Heart confirmed. Oh, my God, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, you know, and everybody got all crazy. And for a solid week, the Lady Stoneheart hype was, was just insane. And, of course, it didn't happen. You know, it's never going to happen now, obviously. And I, I've been a Stoneheart truther forever, and I was even on board, even though I've kind of given up hope. I was on board again, and I was just like, oh, my God, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, you know, Game of Thrones in true fashion, you know, they, they toyed with this, and they yanked it out from under – our feed. I thought it was awesome. I loved it. I I thought it was great. It was a great troll. I thought it was a great ending. But uh, there there was also, of course, we cannot talk about this episode without the great introduction of Bella Ramsey as Lyanna Mormont, uh, our favorite new character on Game of Thrones. And God, I hope they bring her back for season seven. I don't want them to age her up one single bit. I want them to bring Bella Ramsey back for season seven. I want her to be an advisor to Jon Snow. I want them to bring her back in full-on scowling, what do you, what'd you call it, uh, Isis, resting bitch face. I want that full-on scowl. In season seven, she was amazing. Um, Annie, uh, what did you feel about Liana Mormont? We've talked about this before, but I just want to get your, your take on Liana. Well, the thing is, is that, like, I had misread it in the books um, or gotten it mixed up in my head in the books um, because there are a lot more Mormont. There are a lot more Mormons, women. In the books, there are a ton more Yeah, Mormons. and there is a much older one who was with Rob during um, the, basically, who leaves just before the Red Wedding. And with a miss, with a missive from Rob to legitimize Jon Snow. And somehow my brain had sort of mixed her up with Liana Mormont, who writes the letter. So right. I had sort of expected a much older, much more crotchety looking lady. And here is this 10 year old who is just and <laughs> I swear to God, like and, and Santa is such an idiot. I mean, and Santa is just like, oh, you're so pretty. And she's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Do you have eyeballs? I mean, it was just, it was great. I mean, it was, it was everything you would have wanted from that character. And it was an instant classic. And it was the kid's first acting job ever. And she is, and I mean, seriously, like, that is how you make a career. I mean, ugh, so good. And, of course, um, she, she became an instant internet success. There are so many memes and gifs of her that, I mean, she'll never want another for another job again, probably. But uh, and she's probably typecast now. But whatever, who cares? She has a, right? she has a while to get over that. Yeah, yeah she does. But uh, Corey Smith, you wanted to talk about the Yara Theon scene. Yeah, um, you know, since we're kind of all uh, drinking, um, our new our new favorite <laughs> raise, uh, Game of Thrones. Raise a glass. Yeah, another uh, our new favorite Game of Thrones drinking game is uh, drink every time Yara says drink. Uh, pr pretty straightforward. Um, but if but you... was this the first? Was this the first episode that we got a uh, a, a bisexual feeling from Yara? Yeah, I mean, up until that point, I I don't think they ever showed her leaning one way or another. Um, 
I mean, I don't know where she's meeting women out on her crazy pirate raiding trips that she was always doing. But anyways, um, I mean, I, I didn't really care one way or another. I just, you know, I hate when they, if they did it just for some sort of, you know, shock, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. let's make her a lesbian. You know, otherwise, who cares? If she was, great. But just to do it just for shock would be kind of, uh, you know, a little bit obnoxious. But, I mean, I, I love the speech that she gave to Theon because, she, you know, you saw it the first time they were reunited when she was like, stop saying sorry, just tell me what you want. You know, she's trying to shock him back into having a little bit of balls, even though he doesn't anymore. <laughs> You know, she wants him, even if he's wrong, she wants him to be assertive about it and to make a decision and to just, you know, to be Theon, you know, the Theon she used to know. And so I, I, I love the scene. It was definitely tough love, but it was also like it's the only way she knew how to bring her brother back. She didn't know how to, you know, pat him on the back and tell him it's going to be OK. She just knows how to shock him and to do tough love and to try and get her brother back. And I'm going to disagree with you, Corey, um, just just on one thing. What? I agree with you that – see? Oh. I, see? <laughs> Only one of us has been on this podcast for like three years, so I'm just oh, saying. Oh, oh, so anyway, okay, so I just want to say real quick that I agree with you the fact that, yes, she obviously did not know how to handle her, her brother and what he's going through – you know, his internal shit, you know, pile of shit that he's got going through. And the way she handled it initially was to, to be like, you know, get over it, just move on. And, and that when she noticed that that was not working, I think she kind of changed tactics a little bit and really kind of looked at him in the eye and, you know, came in close, if you will, and said, look, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this together. Okay. You know, it wasn't like an offhanded comment of like, you know, get over it, get, do, you know, fucking just stop being the way you are sulking over here. Um, So I just feel like that, you know, as soon as she saw that it wasn't working, she kind of changed her tactic up and saw that, you know, she really cannot do that at this moment the way he is. Uh, He's too fragile um, and in order and she cannot do what she wants to do without him. And I think she understands that, too. So I felt like, you know, she really changed it up. I also want to address the fact that you said that, oh, if they're just doing it for shock factor, um, that she is a lesbian. I, I don't I mean, me personally, I when I see a lesbian or someone who's bisexual on TV, I don't ever think of it as being for shock factor. I just think, OK, well, that's who her character is. So, you know, when I hear. Someone say that it kind of is upsetting to me because I just I don't think that way of like oh well they're just doing it for shock factor or, or whatever the case may be or or they're like trying to check up chuck off a box like oh okay we have a bi curious you know character or a lesbian character on the show well, and stuff like that so in, I in in, in in Corey's defense though there are people who say that about Game of Thrones they accuse Game of Thrones of doing things especially right. with women characters only yeah, for that's shock what I was value. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. what I was getting at. They they seem to be doing it for that purpose because especially when they changed her sexuality 
from the books. I mean, in the books, Yara clearly heterosexual. loves the dick in the books. She, she right. definitely is heterosexual in the books. But just because oh. it was that way in the book doesn't mean that the TV show has to follow suit, and and like, it doesn't have to no. be fan service. It, it it's not it doesn't have to be considered fan service just because you change it from the book. I mean, not to get off topic, but it's like talking about uh doc, uh, uh doctor. Uh, Ooh. Strange. Oh, I'm sorry. Star Star Ooh. Wars. Uh, not Star <laughs> no, Wars. No, Star Trek. You're Star thinking Trek. of Star Trek. I'm making. Thank you. I'm making. Oh, Doctor Sulu. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Sulu. That they, they changed his sexuality in the the new. And I'm not trying to go off the wire here or anything like that. Where's um, Bandit? Where's Bandit? <laughs> but I'm just trying to say that you know it doesn't just because Listen. they go ahead and change it from what was the you know the book or what was the old TV show or whatever the case may be, uh, doesn't have to necessarily okay. get fan service. I get what you're saying. And I'm going to put a pin in this and I'll put a pin in it by saying this, just because a Pokemon go named Squirtle. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm kidding. Fuck it. Let me, let me say this. Anyway. Let me ask you a question then Razor and, and Corey. Yeah. So how is her, uh, munching on some titties any different than her, uh, <laughs> Making out with a dude right there, and a, a male yeah, I mean, No, it's it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. I'm just saying. Corey's just saying that they changed it up in the show from the book. And I in thought fact, in the book, doesn't she hook up with Danny? No. 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 Yeah, you just made jokes about it. No, Danny no. does have lesbian tendencies in the book. Well, Danny has but, lesbian okay. tendencies. Okay. See, I have. Oh, they they haven't. Sure. They haven't met in the books, but yeah, they haven't. Neither here nor there. Anyway. Next All episode. right. Let's, Let's 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 keep on moving. Non-lesbian Next episode. <laughs> Non-lesbian topics. They hey We're Annie. Not, they yes. make the guys so so uncomfortable. I know it's great. What? They don't make me no, uncomfortable. I no, can talk no, about no, no, lesbian no. topics all day long. Yeah, if you if, really want, we can have a two-hour podcast about lesbians. That, like I need to get out of here at some point. I didn't give it, I didn't give a shit either way. I just was. Sometimes they do stuff like that, and it seems like. The only reason they do it is to shock viewers, and I thought that's what they might have been going. For. I will give, I will give, okay, I will give a serious, really quick, and then we'll move on to episode eight, really quick. But I will give a serious. I won't talk about Pokemon Go. I swear to God. Listen, um, Pika Pika. The, 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 <laughs> the character, the character of Loris Tyrell in the books is a serious, very well fleshed out character who is a serious knight of the King's Guard. He's a badass swordsman, one of the best swordsmen in all the land. He uh, he loved a man in the books, Renly Baratheon, and when Renly was killed, he uh, he he stopped loving all men, and he he became celibate, and he he said very loving things about Renly, and he trained very hard, and he we don't know what's happened to Loras in the books. He goes off to try to lift the siege of Dragonstone. Uh, at the behest of Cersei. See, and now, all I remember him as a show watcher is him getting his ass whooped by freaking Brienne. Yeah, there he gets go. his ass. Well, he get well that in the in the show he's he's very very flamboyant and he he gets captured because he has sex just about everybody because he wants to drown his sorrows and and in just about every dick in the, in, the, in the King's Landing. And that's where I hate that. I hate the transition that they think that they have to. I don't know. They gotta change the 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 way the characters are. Like Loris is really a great character in the books, and he's gay. And I liked Loris in the books, and I don't care that he's gay. I like that he's a good character. But they changed him to make him a flamboyant sissy in the book in the show. 
He could have been a gay character in the show and could have been a strong, proud gay character in the show that could have made and – and I've written about this on Winter is Coming and gotten lots of positive comments from other gay people, and they're like, yeah, I'm glad you wrote about this because we're not happy with the way he's pre- presented in the show, and now he's dead. So whatever. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is sometimes characters don't translate well into the show from the books. That's what we're trying to talk about. Let's move on to episode eight. Uh, no one. So when no one, this is where it ha- actually happens. Tommen decrees that there's not going to be a trial by combat, and Clegane Bowl goes down the toilet, and everybody gets really sad. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Worst episode ever. Boo. Worst episode ever. Now, let me ask you guys this. Uh, Dan, this, I'm going to pose this question to you. Uh-huh. Is um, Once again, we're in the throne room. Um, I've been asked this uh, in the comment section in Winter's Coming. Have you noticed that – did Tallman change the seven-pointed star behind the throne room, behind the, behind the Iron Throne? Did he change that himself? Um, change it himself? Uh, yeah. Well, knowing Tallman's M.O., if it's changed, it was probably at a suggestion of somebody else, and he gave in, because that's kind of what he does. So Because we, we know that um, Joffrey changed the, the throne room, right, when he, when he took over. Sure. He had a big – he changed it from all the ivy and flowers and stuff, right? Right. And – because uh, I remember Cersei coming in, and she's all, what, what are you doing? And and then she slaps uh, Joffrey because he's talking about... Right, good times. And then, and then um, in season two, in the House of the Undying, Danny has a dream of the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. And she walks through, and it's all like ash or snow, whatever you want to think it is. And she sees the Iron Throne, and it's all like uh, the throne room's... Um, decimated right the ceilings cracked and behind the behind the iron throne is a seven pointed star okay and i've been asked this several times in the comments and when it was coming somebody asked me did i have i noticed that tommen added that same exact seven pointed star behind the iron throne now, i wanted to ask you this or anybody on the panel did tommen add that seven pointed star during his reign oh, i have no idea i didn't look um if he did it would make sense I mean, I think it was pretty clear that his outline trial by combat was not his idea, probably the High Sparrow's idea. And I, I liked the, I liked those scenes. I liked that the High Sparrow was kind of present in the episode, even though he wasn't actually on screen, because it was right. clearly his idea to do that and kind of head off Cersei at the pass. And I mean, if I'm not sure you guys were serious when you talked about not not wanting not the game ball that you wanted the game ball to happen, and you didn't were disappointed when it didn't. I mean, I think we got the giant, you know, piano sequence and blowing up the sept in place of it almost, which I think was probably oh, yeah. worth it. Oh, it absolutely had to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy with the, the destruction of the sept over Club Game Ball. I think I, we got something that was well worth it. And our money's worth there, yeah. Place of, absolutely. So um, we got outline of the outline of the of, of trial by combat and Cersei and then, Cersei standing uh, so far away from her son that she can't actually reach him. And, right, and she right. Try, doesn't she try? Doesn't she try to get to him and he, he walks farther away from her? Well, no, oh. it's because she's so far because she's placed so far back. There's just a huge crowd in between them, and he isn't going to stop and wait for her or look at her because he's king now without her. It's the it's it's kind of the moment where she realizes that that she's lost him. I don't think that's true. I think she's thinking that his counselors are making him do this. Kevin, she wants to kill him. Pycelle wants to kill him. Highspire wants to kill him. I think she's entertaining ideas of getting Tommen back right to the very end when he kills himself, when she realizes her mistake. 
Now, now, in this episode, did we have Brienne confront Jamie in his tent? Yeah. Yes. That was a really well acted out scene. Annie, take me away for that scene. Um, actually, I loved not just Brienne and Jamie together in the tent where she tries to give him back um, Oathkeeper, and he's like, "No, you earned that sword." Um, I loved Braun and Pod getting back together. Um, I loved Jamie and Edmure, uh, in the tent together and Jamie's confession, basically that he wants to get back to Cersei and he is willing to basically be this bad guy in order to make this happen. And that Edmure basically has to learn to be that bad guy too, in order to make sure everybody lives. I mean, everything about the, I, I even love the Blackfish and Jamie like head to head, like everything about, um, Everything about that up until uh, up until the Blackfish dies, and uh, and and you know up until the Blackfish dying, actually, I liked everything. I even liked the fact that when Edmure finally got inside the castle and told everybody to surrender, the way they looked at him in disgust, and he was like, "But I just saved your lives." I loved everything about that. I thought all of that was so well acted, and you know, I'm really glad that we got to have uh, Tobias Mendes back. To do that scene. I don't, I know you guys keep saying, oh, Arya's going to free her uncle. I really don't think so. Look, he's got a day job over at another network. He's doing another fantasy series. He's busy. Um, I don't really think he's going to be back next season. But does, does he really know? No, they had the... no, no, no. I was going to say, Annie, I have to, I have to disagree with you. Um, if, if Outlander, and we're talking about Outlander on Stars, yes. which is yeah. not on HBO, which that's That's why where... I said another network. Yeah. Uh, but if, he, he should be done uh, with Outlander, and um, so I feel like yes, he will have some time, but he also has a movie career, a budding, I should say, movie career going on. He's doing uh, Underworld. Um, oh, that's right, and, he is. Yeah, so he's he's doing a couple of other things for Sony as far as movies are concerned. But I don't doubt that he would go ahead and come back for Game of Thrones if he had the chance, or if you know he does get released. Uh, if Arya does release him, he he is definitely going to go ahead and go back to his, you know his home and try to get that rectified. Uh, maybe even go up north if he has already found out that the uh, the Starks have taken back the north. So well, if you think about think about it, think about this: if Arya was there at the twins, I know we're once again we're skipping ahead a little bit. If Arya is at the twins, which we all know she was, and she heard Walder Frey say. Uh, my son by law is back in the back in the dungeon. Why would she not go free him? Because she, because she's kind of selfish and not really thinking about that anymore. I don't. She has I don't. Other things I, to do. She wants to I don't up think, the list. Yeah, I don't think she's that. I don't think she's that far gone. I don't. And here's think she's here's that the thing. I, I just looked it up. Uh, Tobias Menzies, is his last name. Underworld is in post production. Una is in post production, and the Velvet Abstracts in post production. So he's done. Oh, he's okay. filming. He's filming you know, nothing. So he's no. got he's got nothing but time, and, okay, and so I maybe think, he will be back next season. Maybe and, and I would I love mean, to see okay. him. He's a good actor. I mean, oh, I'd, I'd rather be... I'd rather have a third season of Rome. Damn it! But that's just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd all oh love my a third God. season of Rome, even if every single week my husband said, "I wonder how it ends." Titus Kulo. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, no that, uh, that that's a a good and that that's another great HBO show that unfortunately, like uh, Deadwood just freaking got squashed. It really um, was the forerunner to Game of Thrones. It, it really was in a lot of ways. I mean, half the cast was on it for starters. Yeah. Um, well, let me, let's, let's talk about this really quick. Corey Smith, were you a fan of the Blackfish dying off screen? 
Hell no. Are you kidding me? All the, I knew you weren't. I had to ask. All they I talked had, about was how, you know, what a big, badass warrior he was. And then basically he died off screen. And it's like, uh, I mean, that was pretty much the only part of the episode that I didn't like. I mean, it was a fairly slow episode, but it did have some really good character moments. And, I mean, yeah, Blackfish dying off screen. It's like, what the hell? Um, I mean, I guess we know now in the books that his storyline's not going anywhere because they killed him off screen. Because um, in the books, he escapes River Run. He kind of, like, swims away down the river. So, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't show him, you know, you don't maybe have to show his entire death, but you could show him charging down the hall towards some guys or, you know, something. You don't have to show him actually getting stabbed, like, through the head or whatever. I mean... I, I just don't know why you're like, oh, yeah, sorry, uh, Blackfish is dead. We almost forgot to tell you. So, to a no. foot soldier, no less. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't like it at all. Like, give me a boss fight. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, you lit- I mean, I think you literally could at least, like, to service the character, you could have shown him draw his sword, run down the hall towards, you know, 20 or 30 Lannister guardsmen. You know what's going to happen. But at least you get to see him doing it instead of this, oh, yeah, hey, we took River Run and... Um, Oh yeah, that blackfish guy—he's dead. Sorry, got almost forgot. You know, so ISIS, you, anyway. ISIS, you wanted to talk a little more about uh, Brienne and Jamie. So uh, we get to see Brienne and Jamie basically say goodbye to each other, and and I felt like that was a really wonderful moment because you you see uh, him talking to Edmure and he's like you know being really rough with him and ba- basically saying I'm going to do everything that I can. Um, to get back to my family and all this stuff and everything. But at the end of the day, he knows that, you know, letting it, it was like showing some of his humanity shine through by letting Brienne and Pod escape. And uh, I felt like that was just one of those moments that, to me, spoke that he is not too far gone. And then when we get to the last episode, when he sees that King's Landing is, you know, basically burning at this point, and, you know, when he sees uh, Cersei on the throne, that he's kind of like, he's not too far gone. He he can understand right from wrong. And so I really felt that that whole little, and I'm a shipper, so I'm I'm a Brienne, <laughs> I'm a shipper for Brienne and Jamie and Brienne. and I so I really felt like that was a great um, little element to to that. I don't know, man. I can't I can't be a Jamie uh, Brienne shipper. I'm a Brienne Mund shipper. So. Well, can I be all? Can I be like you know like a little threesome thing going on? Because like I, I oh really, lord yeah I'm I'm down for any combination really. Okay, so um, we we had all that happened, and uh, Corey Corey Thone, did you have anything you wanted to say about this episode? I know you weren't happy with the way a couple things went down in that episode. Did you want to bitch a little bit more before we moved on? I mean, I could. I, I mean, we could just talk about all the ways that the episode before dropped the ball with Arya's storyline, in my opinion, and, and just really nothing was explained. The whole Bravos storyline just kind of ended in the most cartoony of this is your chance to talk about aria fine fine so aria (laughs) aria's whole storyline what i i can't i'm having trouble focusing on a stupid thing these last two episodes let's just focus on the, the last thing where she 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 brings in her uh you know face of the wave 
in her pocket, I guess. No, actually, she she no, she's in her pocket. She drags it somehow on the ground behind her, even though it's only four inches long. So she stoops down the whole time to drag this endlessly bloody face all the way through this gigantic temple. All right, and then hangs it at Jockin's eye level so he can see it whenever he follows the blood in there so that he couldn't just see it on the ground. He's got to look up. We got to pan up, all that crap. So what was the point? What was the point then of all the training if she goes, I don't want to be a faceless man anymore? And he's like, well, too bad because you are one. And she's like, no, I'm a Stark. And he's like, all right, dope. You're Stark. Laters. Like, what? the hell just happened okay so i read a thing um which i thought actually said it very very well and i'm paraphrasing now but it was basically that when george martin is writing the books part of the reason it's taking him so long to get anywhere with the characters and the reason he keeps stalling out these last couple of books is because he is trying to get the characters to organically within themselves choose to go to the next plot point and the show is like next plot point check and that's I mean, that basically the difference between, and that's why the show is going to end is going to end in a timely fashion, and the books are not. That's a good point, and I, I, mean, I get that, but it just it, we could chalk it up to not as bad as Dorn, you know, not as bad as the Iron Islands, but just something that's like this is happening. That's over. What? Yeah. But we just spent three yeah. seasons building up to this. Now it's over now. She's on a boat, bitch. Well, she got yeah. damned four times. Well, she had to, she, I'm she, on a motherfucking boat. Yeah, she but needed this is to. All... St- she needed to stay over in Bravos for a while to let the rest of the plot basically, like she and Danny both needed basically to be put off to the side and do something while the rest of the world caught up to them. And they had their little training montages while they were over there. Like that's all that was. But it, it was necessary to remove Arya from the from the main Westerosi plot line. So that's why he sent her over there. And the re- part of the problem that we have with the books and her storyline right now is that she's still over in Bravos because he hasn't figured out how to get her to go back. And the show just figured it out for him. Well, all right. Well, I felt like it was just one gigantic Westerosi stink finger. Which also was on the episode. <laughs> oh, God. It was, wasn't it? It was. Oh, my God. Yeah, Corey Smith, speak oh, up. It, it, well, I was just going to say, I mean, this is kind of the, the it, you know, I did like season six. I kind of rank it as my second favorite season. But if you're going to point to problems with the season, I mean, we all, we're all we kind of all discussing this in a roundabout way. Is there, you know, the, with the plot points, they're jumping, you know, and – it's over. Okay, on to the next thing. And when you start talking about, you know, when you take into consideration that they've only got 13 or 14 episodes left, which is a freaking, you know, that's a weird number of episodes, you really begin to wonder why not take an extra two or three episodes here, flesh out a little bit more, and make it feel a little bit more organic and a little bit more. Um, natural, not necessarily as long as George takes to get around to things, but you know, just do a little bit more, a little bit more, and then it would feel a little more organic, and we wouldn't have to rush so quickly, especially when I think HBO would be glad to add two, three episodes, something like that, um, to the overall total for this series. So, I mean, that was my only major problem with the with uh, season five, so yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't know if y'all felt the same way, but that's kind of how I felt it. I mean, 
With the exception of Arya, which I, I mean, when we when talked about why the Arya plot ended badly to Agri, um, I think season six moved pretty smoothly. I mean, you had a kind of a clear oh. arc with John coming back, John gathering, um, you know, forces, John battling Ramsay, Cersei starting off at a low place, trying to break her way in, couldn't, has a fuck with the High Sparrow, fails, gets cut off, and then ends in a, in a blow up. I think Arya was the one big exception. And I think Arya is at fault for why the middle of the season is rough. Because Blood of My Blood and Broken Man, I, I, I liked them both. They were both set of episodes. They were both kind of character moments. They were well written. They were well done. But they were kind of dependent on no one to follow through with the payoff. Like, they didn't have climaxes, really. No one did, and it bungled the climax. I don't know. Stinkfinger did. Stinkfinger <laughs> was a climax of source. That's true. <laughs> not one we can really hold on to. Well, the thing is, right? Like, I, I get Corey that you're Corey second of the same <laughs> that you are um that you're saying that you know Arya could have been fleshed out more and Arya could have been extended more and given more to do and had her story take longer and not come back till next season. But the fact of the matter is, is they there. We don't know why they need to have her back in Westeros by the end of the season, but clearly there was some reason why they felt they couldn't extend that, why the timing was such that they felt that they had to have her back in Westeros by the end of the season. Yeah, but I'll, I mean, tell you, I'll, tell you why, I'll, I'll tell you why they had to bring her back. Razor knows because we have, thir- we have 13 episodes left, oh. and Arya has to be back in Westeros now because she's she's got to finish her arc. Everybody's got to be back in Westeros because the Night's King's coming. Yeah, but it, it wasn't just Arya's storyline. I felt like they, they rushed things a bit in the north with Jon and Sansa, and, you know, they could have fleshed that out a bit a little bit more. We talked about it last episode, last podcast episode, you know, how they kind of glazed over, you know, what Jon was feeling, just trying to get him basically to the Battle of the Bastards. But this is the difference between people who watch the show only and read the books. Like, you know, I might, myself as just a show watcher, I didn't really need to go into the, the freaking minutia, if you will, of how John is feeling or how Sansa is feeling or how Reach Sansa it. feels about John and vice versa. I don't I Give Bring it home. a care. All I want is some fucking action, some wrecks being, you know, some dicks being wrecked. And, is. I mean, I've already watched all that <laughs> as far as what's going on with, with Sansa and her rape and how I felt about it. And John and his resurrection and how I felt about that. Let's move on because it does not push the story forward, you know, unless there's and- some something wrong like okay Sansa now is scared of John because he's been resurrected uh, obviously we didn't see that but if if th- then there were maybe some discussion if you will but there wasn't any of that and I'm okay with it let's keep on move you know pushing the story forward the only thing and I'm going to say this and I, I make fun of sexy Jesus all the time but I really felt like the way sexy Jesus and Arya left things left in felt incomplete because I don't know what his plan was. I don't know why he was trying to train her to become a faceless person. And then he's like, okay, bye. See you later. You know, kind of thing. You're still on your heart. And and so that that to me made me feel, 
you know, it, it really made me feel compl- conflicted because I was just like, why was this all going on then? If there was some a little bit of explanation on Sexy Jesus's part of why he was so cool with her just going off, you know, and doing her own thing, then I would be like, okay, cool. He, you know, it, it was it was worth something, uh, but we didn't get that. So sorry, I had to rant. Sorry. Well, no, but the thing is, is that, okay, so we don't hold up John's story with extra stuff, so we can't hold up Arya. Arya has to move. So therefore, Arya gets... extra, though. Like, the explanation should be there, and I think Dan is getting to that as well. The explanation for... The only explanation, and this is something that uh, we experienced in this season, at least I did, where that wasn't enough, and then four episodes later, they get back into it. I, I don't know if we're done seeing Sexy Jesus... Amen. And and I think that he has a plan for Arya outside of the faceless man sect. Amen. Mm. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> okay. All right. It's, it's so- possible. We'll see. I, I mean, we'll never agree it is the problem. Like, where do you need more? Where do you need less? Like, it, it's my personal. I don't think you need any more with John's story or Sansa's. I think you needed more with Jack and Hagar, Arya. And we can't, we're never going to agree on what we need more, what we need less of. That's the problem. But I thought they did a good job with everything, almost everything, but Arya was a rough spot. Well, it and stands it, out in this season because everything else seemed like to have such a great finality to it. And I mean, and if yeah. Jackson comes back, you, 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 you could be right. Maybe he'll clear things up. I kind of doubt it, but we'll see, won't we? Yeah, but see, Razor, you knew exactly why before the season started, Arya had to get back to Westeros. And I believe that you talked with Dan about it and that he uh, disagreed with you. So that was interesting to see that unfold, right? Yes, I guess so. Do you know what, we're talk- you know what I'm talking about? No, I'm not, I don't. I'm giving you, you a chance about? to brag about saying Arya was going to kill Walter Frey. Ah, uh, yes. Dan and I had a big discussion. Sorry that I had started. to literally. I didn't even it even was, thanks, all that. To, thanks for setting that. Thanks for setting that up. Swing and a miss. Anyway, yeah, Dan rubbed it in my face all season long. And the closer we got yeah, towards sorry. the end of the season, you did, buddy. Hey, you need to own this one, man. You got. I will. What your language is very um, hyperbolic. Rubbing your face. <laughs> I was like your. Hey, that's how we roll here, Dan. I would think you that's how that. we roll. My Hashtag friend. I can fingers. bring up the transcripts. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the closer we got to the end of the season, Dan goes, "Hey, Razor, how you feeling about that uh, Arya's gonna kill Walder thing?" And I'm like, "I'm sticking to my guns, bro. It's gonna happen." Okay, we'll see. LOL. I have never seen <laughs> LOL in my life. I don't even know that. Listeners, I not use that. Actually, actually, I know Dan. Prob- I, I know Dan probably could pull up the exact transcript, transcripts, and it will not have LOL in it. That's but Raffle, it'll have Raffle Mal in it. But anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, I, I feel a little vindicated. She did kill Walter Frey, and I'm happy about it. But um, so she came over to Westeros, man, and uh, she had to get over there and and, and cross that. That uh, that name off her list, which two truths and a lie she said at the beginning of the season, and uh, that was the truth she told. Which I'm a, I'm really surprised that she got away with that with the Game of Thrones PR department. Wow, that was a big one. But um, let's uh, let's let's slither 
on over to no- episode number nine, the Battle of the Bastards. Right? We can pretty Let's much get into skip the... this one. This was a pretty boring. Yeah, episode. it was a... <laughs> so boring. Oh my god! But uh, I tell you what, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about this in two sections, like we did last time we talked about this. And let's do it really quick because I want to get into the Winds of Winter, and that's where we're gonna really talk about the big stuff. But Battle of the Bastards was the best battle, in my opinion, and you guys can debate this all you want to, but in my opinion, the Battle of the Bastards was the best battle in the series, in the history of the series. It, to me, it beat the Battle of the Blackwater. To me, it beat Hardhome, and I know that's probably sacrilege in a lot of people's minds because Hardhome was amazing. Um, it, yeah, it didn't have a car scene moment. I know Annie talked about that last time we talked. But it was definitely amazing. It had a Rick on moment, right? Mm-hmm. But it was definitely amazing. Um, let's talk about this for a minute. It started in Mirene, and we got to see all three dragons ride together. It, we got to see all three full-grown dragons torch the Master's Fleet. And um, it was just pretty goddamn amazing. So, Isis, how did you feel about the Mirene, episode, the Mirene part of Battle of the Bastards? Okay. So, is it? This isn't the one that they had him joking around. No, no, no. Danny's already back. Okay, Danny. Sorry. <laughs> Don't yeah, we're not even talking about those up. goddamn jokes. Don't, Don't you bring ever it up. Do that I was like, holy crap! Hold on. Is this the episode where they that, that you have freaking Tyrion making horrible jokes? Okay, no, no. No, Danny. we managed to skip over all of that. Thanks. So <laughs> I'm so sorry. I brought it up. <laughs> My bad. I'm sorry. Hey, you're on the roll tonight, otherwise. But anyway. Go ahead. Hey, I've been drinking. Shocker. Okay, so, uh, no, I I thought it was really awesome. Danny, you know, at the end of the the last episode, uh, episode 8, or 608, whatever, um, you know, she comes flying in like the badass that she is, and she's like, what the fuck is going on here? And, you know, (laughs) we, we jump in and we have her talking to Tyrion, who might be the worst freaking, I don't know, mayor of of Mirene ever. And um and and I feel like, you know, we talked about a little bit Danny kind of like, well fuck it, we're just gonna go ahead and kill them all and everything. And thankfully Tyrion, while he is not great at running things on his own, he's able to talk Danny off that freaking, you know, ledge of of possibly turning into a mad queen and really kind of saying, Look you can't do that, okay? Let, like, that's not even an option. Let's not do that. But we can do other stuff. And the way that whole entire situation... Uh, we can do other stuff. What? We can do other stuff? <laughs> like, what? And so, like, we can we can do other things to try to save it. And um, it... Uh, it was really awesome to be able to see them working together again. I, I love the interaction between uh, Peter Dinklage and um, and Danny. I forgot her name right now. Amelia. And I feel yes, and, and I feel like they have a really good chemistry together. And the way that whole entire scene unfolded, especially when you see you know the um, the three dragons come in and they're just laying waste to the slavers feet, uh, fleet. And, you know, they still go ahead and tell the, the, uh, the slavers, Hey, you know what? We're done with you. Um, 
we're moving on and stuff like that. Take what we're giving you and move on. I thought that was really, really awesome uh, to see uh, having Grey Worm get a little bit of his agency back, if you will. I, I thought that was really awesome because it was the first time we actually see him actually killing somebody uh, in all this time. So I, I felt like that was a really good wrap up of Maureen of like, okay, let's go ahead and wrap this up with all the slavers Bay and all the, the slate, you know, the, uh, those people and, and let's move on. And I thought they did it in a way that didn't seem too rushed. Uh, I think we were all ready for that Maureen to end anyway. So I think we were all happy with it. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, Isis brings up a point about, uh, Tyrion being a terrible mayor. Uh, Prime, minister. Uh, Prime minister. Prime you know, minister. A governor. regent of the city. What do you think about his 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 regency as of I thought he did a good job because, as he pointed out, and the show went there. The show didn't like not explain this. It said that if if it had been different, the city probably would have been sacked a long time ago. He bought right. Danny the time she needed to get back. Maybe he didn't know he was doing that, but he did. If he hadn't cut that deal, they would have come probably second city a while ago. So I think he did a nice job, and she seemed to buy that. It, did. it is impressive that they have shared now four episodes together, but they already do kind of feel like a power couple that's going to last a while, these two. The chemistry was just there. Like the first second they saw it, it was there. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to more of them. Looking forward to see what they do in Westeros. They are a force to be reckoned with. Hey, and Dan, I don't know how you felt about it. I mean, I do actually, because I actually watch your Facebook live cast. But um, <laughs> not to not me too, to me too. Uh, so I, but I felt like, especially in the last episode, the the interaction between between Danny and Tyrion, although maybe one sided, uh, has become more. I, I don't know if romantically or just for survival's sake, uh, Tyrion has been, become more engrossed in Danny's future. And I believe you said heart eye emojis last time yes, we talked about. Yes, yes, I did say that, but I wanted to get Dan's take on that. All right. Um, I think Daenerys is naturally kind of a demagogic, demagogic, demagogue. And, I mean, she inspired Jorah to crazy amounts of devotion. She inspired all these slaves' devotion. Grey was devoted to her. Masandi devoted to her. Like, inspiring devotion is kind of what she does. Like, that's what she does best. And Tyrion is a guy who's been cynical for a lot of his life. But kind of deep down, I, I think we all know that he has a good heart. And he wants to be able to follow someone who he can do good under, who, who can put his powers to good work. And he, he's, he's found someone. He's found some Daenerys, and he's, she's, kinda, she, she's kind of like nursing that part of him. She is fanning the flames in his secret garden to life, if you will. And, uh, <laughs> Dan, you're hilarious. Thank you. And, and then for his part, he's perfect too, because she has the potential to go off the rails. And he's a pragmatic guy, so he can bring her back. It's really, it's sort of, a, it's a great match. And they, and they have the potential to do a lot together, so I'm looking forward to that. Well, she's, first of all, she's beautiful, and she's powerful. Sure. And uh, she she uh, brought into the world something that he always had an interest in, in dragons. He was always interest, interested in dragons. He read about them as a kid. 
He always wanted one as a child, and she's the one that brought in the three dragons into the world that had been gone forever. And as far as his part is, he is intellectually like he's 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 a genius, right? Like he's just very very smart. And she's never been around that. Like, all the people she surrounds herself with are powerful. All the men in her life have been brutes, right? Yeah. Dario, Jorah, uh, Caldrago, Grey Worm, uh, Grey Worm they're all brutes. Um, she's been savaged by her, even her brother, Viserion. He was a weakling, but he was a brute. So, um, Tyrion is an intellectual. So, I guess you're right. They're a perfect match for each other. It's just... Physically, they're different from each I mean, other. He's so kind of I've, a brute, too, in a way, in a lot of ways. Like, that's why he's good for her, I think, because he yeah. covers that part of her. I would love I, – I, it's an interesting It's an interesting match, and I would love to see where it goes. Well, but like, like he says, she's got to find a lord in Westeros, which honestly, when they get to Westeros, he is a lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so, you know, I, I thought it was also when you talk about parallels to kind of the past um, – you know, Tywin was the hand of the king to the Mad King for a long, long right. time, and he wasn't able to stop the Mad King's kind of excesses Madness. and kind of the ma- right. And so it was interesting to me as a book reader to see Tyrion able to stop uh, Danny from her excesses, from basically saying, "Okay, I'm gonna burn down all." And Tyrion's like, "Wait, let's just." Think about this for a second. Let's not turn into another, you know, Mad King. At least for me. Yeah, so I I like that parallel when you consider Tywin's history of being unable to stop Mad King to where Tyrion can at least seem to exercise some sort of control or restraint on Danny to where she calms down and and thinks about what she's going to do. So I like that. I think for me the best part of the Meereen episode was watching – all three dragons fly together and torch the fleet. On now, I, actually, I really like the moment where Drogon is behind the masters, and the masters are all standing there going, hey, we're, you're going you're gonna to bow to us now, and we're going to take all of your slaves back. And there, it's that moment in the horror movie, behind you! When he's, when he's winging down oh, below so the floor. Great. That was oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was shot really, really well. It I love that. Because it, it wasn't a direct shot on him, and you could just kind of... It was, it was great. I, uh, I, real fast for the book readers in the audience, did, did you like how uh, the show cut through like 30 odd Quentin Martell chapters when loved, the dragons just loved, loved. We, sat, we have sat through the entire seconds. season we've sat through the entire season debating who's going to play Quentin Martell and let the dragons out dragons are like fuck you we don't need Quentin Martell yeah, we, th- we, we thought anybody. Was, I thought it was going to be Canarva for a long time and then it just ended up being Nobody. Nobody. Nope. I guess. I guess once Tyrion unshackled them, they started burrowing out at that moment, and then. Sure. I mean, there, there was a little bit of setup. And then once Drogon started calling to him, they just decided to bust out at that moment. I, mean, I guess it it works. I mean, I'm not saying it didn't work. It's just George R. Martin yeah. expended so much mental energy figuring out how to do that. They just they did it in a second and a half. It was be- it was a beautiful moment and I I fucking loved it but I mean to me just to see like the shot of Danny swooping over and then the dragons looking up at Drogon as they fly up together and then she hovers and we finally get a shot of her actually hovering over the ships like we've never seen her 
stop and hover in midair. We've seen her fly past things and fly over things, but she actually stopped midair with, on Drogon, and she whispers in his ear, Dracarys, and they all just rain fire, and we see three dragon fires on the uh, on the ships, and it was just amazing. And as a book reader, I mean, I was I was just like I stood up and I was like cheering. Like I I get really emotional when I'm watching a show. Like I'll start cheering and whooping and hollering. I get all excited. Like watching Game of Thrones with me is like a party, so I get really really crazy. Well, but uh, well, I felt like it was one of those moments. And as a TV watcher, uh, show watcher, I felt like okay, the the two other dragons have basically forgiven mama for yeah. for basically keeping them shackled down there in and this you know hole if you will and um and great granted you know of course drogon is the alpha in the group and everything but i mean if they were really really freaking pissed about about what danny did to them i mean granted i mean they could have just set her on fire even though i guess that wouldn't have hurt her but anyway it doesn't matter i just felt <laughs> yeah. like i just really felt like that was a moment where okay everything is all right we've forgiven mama for what she has done and we're we'll moving sure. on to wreck some dicks so yeah i, I kind of my here's moving on to season seven i kind of want to know how much control she has over the two drag other two dragons but we'll find out later but uh I kind of I kind of felt like they were following Drogon more than they were following her, but I guess we'll. Um, what um, Corey Smith? Did you have one more point? Yeah, I, I was just gonna <laughs> say I liked it that before the episode started. We didn't think uh, we thought the entire episode was just gonna be Battle of the Bastards. So I liked that they snuck in the Marine stuff on us. Uh, we kind of got wind of it like a day or two before the episode aired, but I liked it leading up to it. We just kind of thought, okay, it's just going to be Battle of the Bastards, just John and Sansa, and we still got the uh, the Battle of Fire and Marines. So I, I like that. Uh, that was definitely kind of cool on the show producer's side. All right, well, let's move on to um, let's move on to the North, where the actual Battle of the Bastards took place. And uh, I'm not sure if we had any technical difficulties, but I'm sure I, I think everybody's saying we're better. Okay, good. All right, Daft Daft Punk. That's that's hilarious. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I guess we're rising harder and stronger and faster. All right, so uh, moving on to the actual Battle of the Bastards, let's get on to that, that awesome parlay where um, uh, Sansa had her first mic drop of the night where um, she told Ramsay he was going to die the next day. Um, we had uh, we had Shaggy Dog's uh, tiny head dropped <clears throat> and uh, as proof that Rickon was dead. And um, no, that they that, had Rick on, not that he was dead. Ah, uh, my my bad. Shaggy's ha- Shaggy Dog's head as proof that he had Rick on. But more than that, we had once again Liana Mormont giving what Isis has coined resting bitch face. Isis, take me through that. Okay, so they ride up, and here is freaking Ramsey saying, you know, basically, oh, okay, if you give up now, uh, you know, we will you know, uh, basically pardon all these other treasonous lords and blah, blah, blah. And, and Leanna doesn't even have to say fucking shit 
the look on her face was probably the look that everybody else had while watching this. Like, motherfucker, please, okay? <laughs> and it was absolutely excellent because she did not say anything that entire episode, just that, just her face. And, and when they panned to her, and it was just, it was absolutely wonderful because at that moment, Leana became all of us. And um, and so it was really one of those great moments. I have to give it up to Sansa. I've not been a big Sansa fan um, on this podcast, but the way she cut him off, I, you know, Ramsey likes to go ahead and, you know, give these long speeches about how he's going to torture people and what he's going to do to them. He, he gets off on it. I literally think he gets a hard on off of it, but she just like cuts him off about mid sentence is just like, you're going to die tomorrow. That's the end of it. And she walks off or rides off. And I thought that was just such a wonderful, powerful moment where she actually kind of showed something that Ramsey probably hadn't seen ever. And um, which probably turned him on at the same time. But at I just really felt it was really good for her storyline to show where she had come from season one to this season. Now, after all the things that have happened to her. Um, and the only thing that I have to say, as far as that whole entire scene that was messed up was that after she rides away, um, he mentions the fact that his dogs hadn't eaten in weeks or whatever. And then seven days. Yeah. And then she makes mention of it again at the at the end of the episode when she has her confrontation with Ramsey and I was just like you weren't even there for that conversation I mean maybe someone had told her about it or whatever the case may be don't hey listen don't go Preston Jacobs on us never go <laughs> never go full Preston Jacobs okay but it was just it was one of those moments where I was just like did I see that it, and and I have to say because I because I watched this episode several times that was the only time that I, I would say that there was like a little disconnect if you will um in that but Leana Mormont is she she steals the, the the scene without having to say a word and I really feel like Sansa is learning maybe one or two things from her and I like it so um we had we had the parlay we had the mic drop we had uh Ramsey taunt John by calling him bastard, which is something that really bothered Ramsey more than it's ever really bothered John. Because, um, as I've said on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I have started watching our our annual uh, rewatch of all the seasons. And one thing that Tyrion Lannister said to Jon Snow in season one, episode, uh, I believe one or two, he says two, two, two. one, he says two. one, pilot episode number one. Pilot episode, winter is coming. He says. No, I thought it was on the road when they're on the road to the wall. Is no, 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 no. Is that, that Winterfell? Is that Winterfell at Fox. nighttime when he's when he's <laughs> getting like a... when he's getting ready for the feast? He says, I, "I, I'm getting ready to go feast with your family, and I have to get." He's getting drunk, and he says, "Wear the name bastard like armor, so it doesn't hurt you." Right. And so that's John. It doesn't bother John that Ramsey's calling him a bastard. It doesn't really bother him at all. But it's always bothered Ramsey, and so Ramsey keeps calling him bastard over and over and over and over. Whatever. John challenges him to a single combat, and um, you can tell that that kind of bothers Ramsey, and that's why Ramsey says, "Oh, you're good, bastard." Blah 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 blah. Anyway, so we get we get into we get to the tent at nighttime, and we have the parlay, and we've talked about this. 
we don't really think that Tormund was being made fun of, but it was kind of a fun thing to see that it was a callback to the to the the way the wildlings were wiped out by Stannis, the the pincer move, mm-hmm. the the double what do you call it, the double envelop? Pincer move, like yes. And um and then uh, we have the talk between between uh, um, the, Tormund and Davos. The War Council too. Well, the War Council is what I'm talking about. But when they're yeah. walking out of the tent, and uh, Davos and, Tor- and and Tormund are talking, we get everybody's favorite meme now, and everybody's favorite eBay item and toilet paper holder. Happy shitting. Happy shitting. <laughs> you know. Merry Christmas. Happy shitting. The, Merry Christmas. The other thing I liked about that episode is I, I kind of liked it for the outsider's view of what was going on because you know Tormund and. And Davos are just these guys, you know, kind of normal guys that have gotten kind of swept up in this, you know, in the Game of Thrones, so to speak. And I like that they were just kind of, you know, I served a king, you served a king, we were both wrong, Jon Snow's not a king. And it was it was kind of a cool conversation to see uh, between the two of them because they weren't great lords and they're not, you know, these big power players in Westeros. And to kind of see their conversation, I, I, I definitely liked Corey, phone, let me ask you this. Um, when uh, Sansa and, and Jon Snow are talking and they're they're debating and Jon says, what else should I do, Sansa? Her moment right there, should she have told him about about her pleading to the veil for army? Or should, I mean, uh, hindsight being 2020 and the fact that they actually came to her aid, should she have told him about Littlefinger. I don't know. I think that it's a very classic Sansa moment in that she sits there with all these people who half of which don't even know. Like Tormund doesn't even know what the hell they're talking about, you know? Like they're just they're going over a general strategy for this fight and then Sansa gets mad that nobody called on her to talk. Bitch, say something. You're in the room. You're in the room with everybody. He wants you in the room. Say some shit. Like that that waiting that that waiting for her moment to be given to her that's classic Sansa, and that moment is never going to come for her. She has to go take it, and uh, her not telling John about the veil hindsight wise definitely stupid. Um, I don't know. At, in the moment, I guess you could make the argument that they couldn't depend on the veil being there, so they couldn't have schemed for it anyway. So, I guess. I don't. I don't know that whole thing. Once again, she annoyed the shit out of me. I don't know what to say. Like she just. Well, and here's my problem, Annie. After the season was over, hasn't hasn't Sophie Turner come out and done an interview saying that she feels like uh, Sansa wasn't given enough credit for the battle? Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that she's kind of not given a lot of credit for the battle, except that John John gives her credit. But he's the only one, and then basically the entire North crowns John anyway and ignores the fact that she's the one who actually won it. I mean, that is true. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, I don't know what she expected. This is a patriarchy. This is the way it works. You've been there. You've been there all these years. You know you're not going to get credit unless you go and take it. And in that, I do think Corey is absolutely right that she's waiting to be called on when what she needs to do is step up. And she's, we've seen, I think this is one of those things where 
we've seen her grow, but we haven't seen her grow that that she hasn't grown. It's proof she hasn't grown that much. That she's still got her issues, and she's still got her, you know, and and that she's still a little bit uh, entitled. Um, but well, yeah, she. What did she really do? She sent a raven and didn't tell anybody. So I, I mean, mean, yeah, the, okay. the veil the veil showed up because she sent a raven. But if they hadn't have shown up, then she would have contributed nothing. Whereas like John and the wildlings and one one, like they all gave blood and sweat and everything else out there. I mean, Sansa called upon her resources in secret. And then cost a lot of lives because had they known, they might have schemed differently. So well, I just I, I, I don't just okay. The thing is, you can't trust Littlefinger, and that's no, been her I, mantra. And so I, I get that she doesn't want to explain. I get that she doesn't want to tell John because she's afraid if she tells John and Littlefinger doesn't gr- show up, she screwed everybody. So there's that. I also get that when John says to her in the tent, "Well, what else would you have me do?" She is completely unable to answer that question because she does not have the language for it. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that. She, she so I, I, I am very much of, of of the opinion that that scene in the tent was exactly what it would be with Sansa being who she is and John being who he is and Littlefinger being who he is. Why? But why not just come out and say? I wrote a letter to Littlefinger. It may or may not happen. I don't know what to do. Because there's a level where she doesn't trust John. Because there's a level where she doesn't trust anybody. She. What happens every time she trusts somebody? What happens to her? Have you noticed? I wouldn't trust nobody either if I were her. But this is the Uh. thing: is that you're talking about the people that she's trusted have have not been Starks or family, if you will. This is someone who is family, and this is and I'm going to be really harsh on Sansa about this because, and I've seen a bunch of articles written about it, and and you know, and I've been in the military. If you don't tell your commander everything that is going on, if they don't, they cannot make informed decisions about what's going to happen. Granted, she did say that. Rickon is basically dead. Yes, and, and we all understood that. that. We and she did. She did vocalize that to to John. Like Rickon is dead. Like you're trying to get Rickon back, and that's just not going to happen. He's not. You know, uh, Ramsay is not going to let that happen. But I felt like she needed to be upfront with John about what the situation was. There is a possibility that we could have the Knights of the Vale. You know, if, if she was upfront with him. The moment that a commander doubts that you have his back, he or she's back, that's the moment that they just really cannot trust you for anything. And and, and I do think, I, think, I actually think they're setting I think they're setting up for that next year. And and maybe that's what it is. But at the same See? time, I do not like and and this is just my own particular opinion. I do not like that when women are are shown on TV that they cannot vocalize of what they're trying to say or what they want or whatever the case may be. I've seen a couple of articles about saying Sansa didn't get enough credit or or whatever the case may be, or she felt like she should have been, uh, you know, the queen of the north or whatever the case may be. Her actions in the show did not demonstrate that she wanted to be queen of the north. It did not demonstrate that that 
she wanted to do that at all. So don't freaking give me a woman who is like, oh, yeah, I really wish they would have just given it to me because, you know, I mean, I am a Stark or whatever. No, if you want something, you freaking fight for it. And you go ahead you. and say that this is what Which... I want to happen. And if, I guarantee you if she had vocalized what she had wanted, that John would have said, okay, that's fine. You know, whatever. Cause at just the end of the day, like I'm... a woman. Whatever, Corey. <laughs> that is not like a woman. That is listen, definitely listen, let me, not let like me add how to I this. am. Let me add to this because I want to say something Sorry, really quick. I just had to rant. Because on a show, on a show with a season where all the power women made power moves, Cersei became the queen of a fractured seven kingdoms. Danny uh, united uh, House Greyjoy, uh, House uh, Martell, and House Tyrell, and is sailing across to Westeros. Sansa had a chance to unite with the Vale of Arryn and take charge, and she didn't. She could back her brother, Jon Snow, and it seems like she did choose to back her brother, Jon Snow, the new, the newly appointed White Wolf and King of the North. She does. She has no, no room to complain and whine. She is a power player now. She's a power player in the North. She is the Lady in Winterfell. Jon gave her the Lord's Chambers. He told her while standing on the battlements of Winterfell that she is the Lady of Winterfell. That comes with a lot of responsibility, and he's gonna he, he's going to give her that. And see, here's why here's where I respectfully disagree with Annie. I think that he's gonna trust her next season. But he's I don't think give, she's gonna trust him. That's what Annie. Well, said. she she okay okay. I see what you're saying. I don't think she will trust him. You're right. I think I think Littlefinger has already wormed his little bitch ass way into her, and he's going to. Uh, separate those two next next season, and somehow it's going to end up in Sansa's death next well, season. Well, Sansa either supports Jon or she becomes a villain. There's no in-between yeah. for her. And, she will be a villain. And, and the thing is, I know why Annie and about 70% of the internet thinks that she doesn't trust Jon because of the look that she gave Littlefinger. But I, I we talked about that on that podcast. I don't think that was – I'm hoping – let me say this. I'm hoping that wasn't the look. I'm hoping it was more her being scared of Littlefinger and what he would do since he wanted to be king of the north, not John. He wanted to marry Sansa, be king of the north, and then take the Iron Throne and become king of whatever on the Iron Throne. Now there's one more person in its way, and it's John, her brother. Because when they started chanting king of the north, she was smiling and looking up at John like, aw. And then she looked at Littlefinger and was like, aw. So I don't know. I, I hopefully, I, hopefully I'm right because Annie, if you're right, uh, a I'd be wrong, which is always terrible. But B, <laughs> B, I really think it would be dumb, and I think it would just be it would be yes, another it instance. Would be. It would be another instance of Sansa being stupid, which is just. I, I, I will say that you are actually giving if for, if for probably the first time you are actually giving Sansa more credit than I am. And, that's and true. That's you are 100. I'm, I'm screwed. She's <laughs> what the hell is wrong with me giving Sansa credit? And this is the thing about Sansa is that, you know, the, the, what we saw in that episode just come – or I should say in the, the next episode because that actually doesn't happen in this episode. We're combining. We're combining. We're combining, about, combining, but, Listen, but, you know, we're combining when, both episodes right When now, Jon right? Snow is being, you know, chanted as king of the north and everything, you see this look of happiness on her face, and then you see the, the 
you know, and I try not to read the articles, but I can't help reading Winter is Coming because it's on my feed. And, um, and it's yeah, good. But and it's really good. Those, Winter is Coming. I know. Those guys I, know. Over I, there can really to, write. I try not to spoil, like, get spoiled, but I read, I read the article um, that she – where it was mentioned that she felt like she didn't get enough um, credit for it and that, you know, she really feels like she should have been the one in charge. And I'm, I, I wanted to bash my head against the wall and say, like, bitch, if you want something, say it. Own it. Don't don't just freaking say, you know, hey, I want this and expect it just to be placed upon your lap. But again, I, Annie had made that mention of the fact that she, she – you know, Sansa still has this mentality of that she's owed things, that it should just come to her without her having to ask She's for it. entitled. It's just... It's she's just, entitled. Yes, yeah. correct. I mean, that interview was not Sansa talking. It was the actress who plays Sansa talking. He doesn't have the scripts for next season yet. I don't think we can take it as gospel. Yet. Well, I understand, but I feel like at the same time that she has some probably some insight of where her character is going, talking to the, you know, producers and stuff like that. So I just, I don't know. It just rubbed me. I guess I, it, a whole entire freaking article of this girl's opinion who plays Sansa rubbed me the, like the wrong way. And I really hope they don't go the route that she wants. And um, well, then again, she also thinks she should marry Littlefinger. I no, know. No, I did. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, by a dragon. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time actors are wrong about um, themselves. Just, I mean, you know, they're out on the press trail. They're being asked the same question 3,000 times. they got to say something. I wouldn't put too much stock into it until uh, we know more for sure. That's true. But still read Winter is Coming, people. Read Winter is Coming. Read it 18 million times a day. Just, like, (laughs) let me just stay there. dot. Winteriscoming.net. Those guys right. can write, and they they always capitalize things correctly on that. <laughs> <side>. <laughs> I don't know why we're laughing. And they fuck. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Um, just for everybody else's, you know, just for essay for everybody's essay that's listening to this podcast, Corey Thode and I do not write for Winter Is Coming, but we we are on this podcast. <laughs> All right, moving on, moving on, moving on. Listen, we're uh, getting close to the, the final minutes of this podcast, and we kind of combined the, these two these two last episodes. And I want to mention really quick one of my favorite reviewers on uh, YouTube, uh, Ozzy Man. He uh, he always uh, he he uh, did a review for Battle of the Bastards, and he, he got to the part where Jon Snow charges down after uh, Rickon gets shot, and he unsheaths Longclaw, and uh, just as the Bolton Mint Calvary is about to hit him. His guys charge in, and he gets all crazy, and he's like, oh, fuck, because Ozzy's man's from Australia, and he's like, and I don't even know who the director of this fucking, this fucking episode is. I'm going to call him Sappo. Fucking Sappo did a great fucking job. Fuck. <laughs> so anyway, if you ever get a chance to listen to Ozzy Man reviews on YouTube, listen to that guy. He's amazing. Anyway, um, but this is about the point where uh, battle of the Bastards really nailed it is with the actual battle, and I remember watching this part. And Annie, you and I talked about this part where the crush scene happened, and I'm claustrophobic. And I remember standing up and almost walking out of the room because John's laying on the ground, 
and everybody's piling on top of him, and he actually feels like he's he's losing his breath. Tell me how you um, how you felt during that scene. Actually, what I'm going to tell you instead is this: um, the Emmy nominations are coming out on Thursday. We will be covering them, and I expect that that scene will be part of the reason why Game of Thrones will be getting all of the Emmys this year. Because Ooh. of Sappho. Yep. Fucking Sappho. Because that. Because I. I mean, that. I. I didn't like that scene when it first happened. It bothered me. It felt chaotic. Um, but I've watched it back several times now, and even, every time I watch it back, it strikes me this is so different from every other battle in any other fantasy series, or really any other, like, historical battle reenactment movie ever. Annie, I, I love that you brought that up, because I think we touched on it when we reviewed the episode live um, a couple weeks back. I loved that they chose that method to put John in peril because we knew during the battle that he would have to be put in peril at some point, you know, but we all assumed it would be just one of those normal fantasy fighting, you know, he gets knocked down and then he almost gets killed. And he gets Tormund it up again. What's that? <laughs> yeah. And then yep. he gets it up again. Right. Right. Exactly. I get knocked down. Right. Stop it. Again. <laughs> right. Oh, but right. Thank to, you. to have it be just this like crush, get, crushed by his own men in the chaos of battle. I thought it was amazing. It was a great choice. It was super original. And I mean, I love that scene. It was, it was awesome. So then, uh, John, John, uh, he, he finally rises to the top, like, uh, the sexy cream, creamy Jesus that he is, that, that, uh, that, uh, Isis knows him to be. And, uh, he, uh, and then everybody, Gandalf shows up with the riders of Rohan and they sell, they save everybody at Helm's Deep. The orcs are defeated. Ramsey retreats to uh to Winterfell. One one charges through and becomes a uh a porcupine. It becomes Dun Dun. One one becomes Dun Dun. And fun fact, by the way. Fun 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 fact. Did you know the guy fun, who played one oh, shit, I'm good. Fun fun I hate you so fucking much. Um, did you know that the guy who played one one also played Season two's The Mountain. Yeah, Annie told us on that podcast. So I hate you. So <laughs> he also played. He also played uh, Dongo the Doomed, a giant from season two, I believe, or season three. He also played one one. He also played uh, Arya, uh, actually. A white, a white... <laughs> he also played Sansa. Uh, so uh, he he's been he's been a lot of characters. I'm not sure. He also played Littlefinger and Tyrion. So um, he's. he's He's, he's been a White Walker, so hopefully he'll be back on the show as a White Walker now that one one's dead because Last of the Giants. But uh, Ian White was a great character. So uh, Jon Snow, ah, Ian White Walker. Dun, 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 dun. So um, Jon Snow beat the shit out of Ramsay. We all got excited for it. He used a Mormont shield to uh, to do it, and then he beat the shit out of him with his hands. Um, hey, speak, speaking Jon- of the Mormonts, actually, cause there's something we should talk about. Because there, okay. there was a brilliant post on the Game of Thrones subreddit that was titled something very dumb. The low key stop using me like like Twitter speak on on Reddit. It annoys me. But the low key importance of the Mormonts that this entire series. Um, one of the Mormonts guides John. One of the Mormonts guides Danny and saves Danny just like John. And one and the Mormonts uh, save John again. Uh, Bear Island, the shield, and everything else. Um, Bear Island and the Mormonts have been involved in pretty much 
every main storyline doesn't have the Lannisters in it uh, in the in, in the show so far, and they've been there since episode one, and they they're there now, and, and they're a small house. Here they stand, and here they stand, and they've rapidly become my favorite non-power conference like family. <laughs> You know, <laughs> they're, they're the best. They're, they're they are North Dakota State FCS. They they are the best. <laughs> so. Oh God, Corey. But I mean, serious. I'm I'm serious. I thought it was a really clever post. It's something I didn't really notice. It didn't really dawn on. I, I mean, I realized it, but it just never clicked how three generations of Mormonts had been so heavily involved in the politics of Westeros in this show. And on at the Wall in Essos and in the North, and they have all three been very critical to uh, where we are right now. So, and we will see Jorah again next season. Yeah, hopefully. and hopefully Liana. And Liana. Liana more likely than Jorah at this point. Yeah, I got a theory about Jorah, and hopefully you'll see that on Winners Coming later on. Does he show season. up and kill Arya in the Riverlands? <laughs> Which is which is uh Westerosi-Ave. his eczema. Um, let's talk about um. So anyway, Sansa, she uh, unleashed the hounds on uh, Ramsey, and everybody got happy about it, right? Who let? She I'm walked sorry, in. who let the dogs out? Okay, we are starting to get punchy. Let's get to the end. All right, <laughs> the end. The Winds of Winter. Everybody, uh, we we've talked a lot about the Winds of Winter through this podcast. Wait, what happened we don't in that episode? We don't have to really talk about a lot. We really right? only have to talk about the one thing that happened in that episode, which is those twenty minutes. Let's talk about. We don't talk about best, Sam or. Let's talk about the the best part of uh, this episode. Okay, fine. The library was the best part of this episode. Let's talk. No, no, no. The best part. The best part the best is listening part. to Razor try to say that composer's name. <laughs> <laughs> Ramin Jwadi. Jwadi. Maybe. Let's Two fingers in the air. All right. <laughs> so, um, the Lord of Light was the best part of that episode. I I don't think you can disagree with me on that. And if you do, you can suck a dick. <laughs> All right. Corey. So All right. Cool. <laughs> Damn. But uh, this this episode was amazing from top to bottom. Um, my 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 opinion was that this, and probably my thoughts are. This episode will probably be the one that gets the most Emmys. This one is not as nominated as the others now. The Battle of the Bastards I can't even, is... Mm-hmm. I, can't even, I can't even... Battle of the Bastards and the Door are the two most nominated. It's, it's strange. The Winds of Winter is one of her best costumes, I think, for Cersei's supervillain outfit, I'm sure. Yeah. The one other one, like another technical-ish one. I forget which one, though. Oh, music. Wow. The, oh, right. Obviously. Yeah, music. First of all, you had first of all you had the costumes, which were absolutely amazing. Annie, speak to that really quick. Okay, well, um, they actually so they had this one costume designer, Michelle McLaren, who has been the person who has uh, Michelle McLaren. Is that, I think I said that wrong. Um, that's a director, Michelle. Clapton. That's a director, Clapton. Thank you. Um, so oh, Michelle the, the Clapton. Director was Sappho. No, no uh, there was a director named Michelle McLaren who I was getting confused with. So Michelle Clapton. Michelle Clapton was the costume designer from seasons one to season five. She left at the end of season. And five and said, you know what? I want to go do other projects. I have other projects to do. I've laid out all of the houses here. Someone can follow in my footsteps. Somebody can basically make costumes based on what I've done before. I've laid out everything. I don't need to work here anymore. I'm done. Right? Um, and 
basically they called her up and they said, no, no, seriously. So episode 10. No, really. Could you just, we just have a couple of costumes. Could you do? And of course she came back. So Cersei's costumes were actually done by the original costume designer. Um, I believe Marjorie's gray dress is also one of those four that she was asked to do. And there's a fourth one and I'm not sure which one it was, but uh, she basically came back for that episode. So that episode being nominated for, or on the list of, you know, nominate to nominate is for her. Right. Huh. Gilly, Gilly had a new dress on this episode. No, no, it wasn't. Dang, that bitch a new frock. That's it. It was Dan. Ah, yes. Dang. She was in that almost black, really, really dark blue. <laughs> no, the really dark blue is the earlier one, and this one she's actually in black. Okay. Oh. Wow. See, God damn it. It's okay. I forgive you. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so costumes were on point. Music on point. Uh, the Sept of Baylor destroyed. Uh, Corey Thone. Walk me through how you how you felt about because I know you had a problem with Lancel being shanked in the back. Uh, speak to that. Okay, well, I mean, we kind of already covered it on previous podcasts, but and, and actually, Razor, you cracked the code last week. If you get stabbed in the back on the show, you die. No matter how many times you get stabbed in the front, John or Arya, whatever, you can live. But if you can take one little knife to the back, be you a Oreo McGuy M- or Ario that guy or. <laughs> Or uh, Lancel. Who was the other one you pointed out, Razor? There was another one who got stabbed in the back and Danny's died. husband. Danny. Oh, didn't Renly get stabbed in the back and die? It saw me just constantly for stabbing. Yeah, that guy like, went clean through him. Like, I can believe that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, basically, we, we just, like, two episodes before that, saw Arya get, like, literally disemboweled with this knife. Like, she got stabbed <laughs> four times in the stomach, and twisted the blade, and she was she was fine after some milk and honey and a nice nap. And then Lancel, who is, like, this really, I mean, he's strong. He's an in-shape kid. Gets, he's strong. Yeah, he's strong. He gets, he gets scrabbed in the back by a four-year-old, and... Uh, He's that's it. It's game over. He's got he's got to crawl around like some type of idiot for the last minute of his life. But I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. Go ahead. And don't 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 call on me to bitch because I'm trying to condense my bitching and that's just not how I roll, man. My bitching is spread out. It's, that's what I like to call on you for. That's what we have you here for. I, yeah, I don't give analysis. I'm bitching about shit. Corey, did you like that? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Next, Corey, did you like that? No, I didn't. Here's ten minutes why I. Didn't. I am not a builder. I'm a destroyer. I'm not a <laughs> society. I just shit all over it. <laughs> I know Isis, I've seen your Facebook. <laughs> Isis, how, how did you like uh, um, Cersei watching the destruction of the Sept of Baylor from you know, the glass of wine in her hands? Because I know you're a wine kind of sword. I so. am. I thought it was so awesome to see. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Cersei, obviously, for for what she does. But it was one of those moments that you kind of go, I'm I'm not rooting for Cersei, but I'm definitely not rooting for those fuckers that are in that place. And so <laughs> it was one of those moments where, like, you kind of go and say, okay, well, I, I guess I'm going to be on Cersei's side just to get rid of, you know, the Sept and, and all of them. And so to see her the way she was, you know, getting dressed, and, and it was just the whole you know, the music, the, there wasn't a whole lot of words spoken about what was going on. But it didn't need to be. They it, told it the story with the music score. really just kind of moved the story forward and the look on her face. And, and I still believe at some point she had to have thought that maybe what she was doing would end up 
with the death or maybe the uh, separation between her and her son. But it yeah. was enough for her to go and say, hey, I'm moving forward. I'm not going to go ahead and, and, you know, kind of well wallow in my uh in my sadness here uh, what i thought it was funny was that she used wine to waterboard the the shame lady uh oh that God. was confess yes. yeah we confess. didn't really talk about that uh yes. we recapped that so live i mean personally i felt like that was a waste of a good red but <laughs> At the same time, she could afford I, it, though. I, I know, I know, but I, and actually, she can't because now she has lost. And, and this is something I was thinking about. Um, she has basically lost the house that was funding them. The bank is no longer giving them money anymore because they basically said, "Hey, like y'all are tapped out." Um, the other family has. I mean, she basically killed the granddaughter, the grandson, the son, all of them. Uh, so they're not going to be getting any more money from from the more. Well, I mean, I'm, on the sh- on the show, mm-hmm. um, Tywin Lannister said the the gold of Castle Rock has run dry, and House Tyrell was um, supplying uh, King's Landing with the food and the gold and And winter is here now and they've got no stores and they've got no money and they are totally screwed. And that's what I'm doing. doing A scenario where Cersei's rules come crashing down around her, isn't it? I mean, let's let's just be honest The King's Landing has become Venezuela. And so going ahead, do you like that? Uh, I like it. So I feel like wasting good red wine was just – I mean, that was funny at the at the moment when she was basically telling her, hey, Confess. you know, I'm, she was confessing basically all of her sins. I do this because I like it. I do this mm-hmm. because I want to. And, and it, was, it was really kind of her taking her moment back. But at the same time, it showed the viewers that she has gone batshit fucking crazy. And, um, and so I really felt like that was, and and then not only that, I I think we have to assume that, uh, the mountain is going to rape, uh, the, the lady, whatever her name is, the, the, Nah, he's he's, pl- he's playing cards. Well, there. whatever. <laughs> I I I don't know if they're playing Uno or Skip Ten or whatever the fuck it's called, but it was just disturbing. Uh, but I really felt like it was one of those moments that you kind of go and say, okay, well, now that the Sept is gone, now and the whole, I can go and, back and the whole neighborhood hate- and, and the neighborhood. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I can go back to hating Cersei. Okay, so uh, Dan, I wanted to ask you this. Um, the show, for six seasons, we've really hated Cersei. I don't know if you have, but, I mean, they've really made us, like, they've written Cersei to be an evil, evil person, and it's really been hard to like her. I mean, there's really no reason to like Cersei. And this episode... <laughs> I mean, it really, they really, this episode, I kind of cheered for her. Um, I was kind of like, yeah, get it. And, uh, get it. Yeah, and I was just like, I was really excited for everything. I was really cheering for Cersei. I was rooting for everything that happened. Like, I was glad she blew up the Sept of Baylor. The only thing I was really sad for was that Mace Tyrell died. Not Marjorie. Not Marjorie. I I didn't even care for Marjorie. Uh, I was just really sad that Mace Tyrell died. I'm sorry for you. 
So how did you feel? I mean, did, did the show? I mean, that that's indicative of good writing, right? I mean, I've always loved Cersei. To be honest, she's one of my favorite characters. I um, kind of figured you. That's why. That's why. Really? I mean, it's weird. I, I, probably, I should probably look into that. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's great because she was having a big epic sweeping thing. It's always crowd pleasing. It was crowd pleasing what she was doing. Um, I mean, the show has always, I think, played. Yeah, she, she's an antagonist, but you see the root of it. It's not so much that she, you, she's, okay, she is evil. It's hard to kind of get around that. But she's a tragic sort of character. I mean, because you know, even as she does this, even as she gets what she wants and is crowned and kills all her enemies, I was sad to see Marguerite go, even though you weren't, you heartless bastard. Um, <laughs> you know it can't possibly last. We already right. we already mentioned some some reasons why, you know the winter's here, the food stores are gone, her allies are dead. Um, the, the 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 Tony neighborhood of Siva has been completely wiped out. So if there was any money or middle class, it's completely gone too. Neighborhood is gone. Um, the IMF's not lending the money. The gold mines are gone. This is going to end spectacularly bad. We even it, we even had that, that vision um, in a you know Daenerys Hall of whatever that was called. The, the Horlocks, where it was all white and horrible in the throne room. It's going to end terribly. The House and of the Undying. How, there you are. Sorry, I couldn't think of it. House of the Undying. And just, she even, it, she it's very really satisfying it is to see her arc come to fruition and kind of see her have her giant moment. But I think part of the reason it is satisfying is because it's part of this larger story where she is going down so hard. She's going to fall yeah. so hard. I think we all know this. I think we're all looking forward to that. So we can allow ourselves some moment of triumph as she gets what she wants and dooms herself because of it, basically. Just momentary, just momentarily going, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And then... That, that's always been her problem. Like, that whole thing where she's wine-boarding Unella, and <laughs> perhaps she should, she should conserve that wine, is kind of an example. She doesn't think yeah. that far ahead. She's not thinking, I should save this wine because we doesn't, don't have any more coming in. She's thinking, I hate this bitch. I'm going to pour wine on her until she's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Classic Unella. That, that's yeah. what she's doing. I mean, classic Sophie. too. I mean, she shouldn't have done that. That's a terrible idea. She's, I mean, seriously, they, she had nowhere to bury her son. Yeah, she didn't think about that. That's a point I want to talk about really quick. Corey Smith, do you feel like uh, Jamie's going to be pissed that uh, Cersei denied him a right to say goodbye to his own son by burning and throwing his ashes into the Great Sept of Baelor. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he, he will be. I mean, obviously, I think he understood that the only way Cersei was sitting on the Iron Throne was with Tommen was dead. So he may not know the exact details yet, but he's definitely going to figure that out pretty quick. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they kind of... You know, Thomas' death didn't really seem to have much of an effect on her, and so I was kind of, kind of surprised. You know, in the books they send Tywin's body back to Casterly Rock, and they send most of the Lannisters back there. So it's kind of weird that they would have. You know, in the show they kind of seem like to imply that all the Lannisters got buried under the Sept, which is also where they in the show they talked about that's where the Targaryens were buried. So that that part was a little weird to me. I mean, I guess it made sense. You know, she blew up the sept to and it cost her Tommen so that's why she wanted to bury him there but I don't know I, I was a little confused by that part 
Well, think about it. Think about it this way: in the show, we've seen Tywin, we've seen, uh, we we saw uh, uh, Joffrey, and we saw Marcella's bodies all in the sept. Now, in the books, there's a moment where they say, and their bodies then got sent back to Castle Rock. That never right, happened right. on the show. On the show, as far as the viewers are concerned, the bodies were laid out there, so their bodies are probably buried there. So, therefore, they just went with that. And, honestly, to me, Cersei was in denial that her actions were going to take out Tommen along with everyone else. And when Tommen basically killed himself along with them, it's more of a reaction of, I should have just let you go to the Sept and die with the rest of them. I don't think that. Honestly, I, have to, I, I don't I think, think, think... There's one important moment in the, in the first episode where Jamie tells her about Marcella's death, and she does not freak out. She gets, yep. like, a weird calm, and it's like, I knew it was going to happen. Like, I believe the prophecy. I think Joffrey came as a shock, because she hadn't really thought about the prophecy in a while. When Marcella died, she started thinking, holy crap, it's coming true, I can't stop this. And Tom and his kind of confirmation. I, yep. I do not think... At all, she thought that she wanted to lose him. I, I thought I think she wanted to keep him alive. I think she wanted to keep him alive as long as possible. Oh but yeah, I I, I, I think there was a level of I think it had to I think that was a level of denial on her part that she thought that she could do this and he wouldn't turn against her. Oh sure. Oh yeah. She 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 doesn't know her son very well. She doesn't know anybody really very well. But I don't so. think she was shocked at all that he was dead. No. No. I think at this point she really believes that was her destiny. Yeah, because of that damn prophecy. Okay, let's 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 leave King's Landing. We've 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 talked about it enough. It was a great opening to the show. You know what? Well, I thought it was well done. I'm gonna say. It. Oh Ooh. wow, you went there. Nice. Um, let's transition from uh, King's Landing to Meereen, where we had the most pathetic breakup in the history of the show, um, and we. I mean, come on, man. Did Danny really have to break up with Dario? Really? Yes, because it shows, I mean, it shows how much better she is than everyone else. I I get it. I do. I understand it's that. It, <laughs> That's why I call him Dario No Heine. I liked the guy because he was quick-witted and funny. I thought he brought fun to her little group, her entourage, you love whatever. love so much, Razor. Why don't you marry him? I might. I might have. You don't. You don't think Dario? I mean, I don't understand how Dario didn't see that coming at some point. Yeah. Maybe not right there, but he had to know eventually. She's she has to marry somebody above him. Yeah, but he thought know. he would be like her mistress, basically. Yeah, because yeah, he was. She was already married at Marine anyway with that other dude, and she was still banging fucking Dario Nohaini anyway. So he was like, "Oh, this is going to be business business as usual. We have a new location, but it's going to be business as usual." So he was like, "Hey, I'm all about that booty." It was. I don't know. It was super fucking pathetic. Anyway, she gives Tyrion. <laughs> It was she gives Tyrion the hand of the queen ten, and that was pretty awesome. And then then we get the heart eye emojis and the long the longing look from Tyrion, and he actually earned the hand of the queen ten, and that was cool. Blah 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 blah. Move to the uh, to, we're really moving through. We're pulling this, guys. a Game of Thrones because we have a lot to get through in a short amount of time. We do. So we get we we, we move back to Westeros. It's almost like we Arya. should have managed our time better. Hey, why don't you shut your goddamn mouth and quit interrupting me? Anyway, uh, we get to uh, the twins, and we have this and strange, strange. Sorry, I've always wanted to girl. do that. <laughs> I hate you so fucking much. Serving a fray pie to Walder Frey, 
And uh, this was kind of a book lover's moment because we've always theorized that uh, fray pies were going to be served. And um, it was kind of a moment that was kind of a nod to, to book readers, and it was nice, and it was satisfying. And uh, it was done by Arya, and she cut old Walder Frey's throat, and uh, she killed Black Walder and Lame Lothar, which is going to send House Frey into chaos. I don't know. He's got, a lot of, he, he's got a lot of descendants. He's got a lot of sons and a lot of daughters. So I'm sure House Frey will have a little civil war, and somebody will take over House Frey, but it's going to be in chaos for quite a while now. So I think personally that uh, Brendan uh, – not Brendan, I'm sorry, whatever his name is. What's his name? Uncle – Uncle Edmure. Edmure will be released, and he'll, he'll go either north with, with Arya. Yes, <laughs> and to Brutus, and uh, he'll, he'll, he'll be okay. But whatever. Arya gets sweet, sweet revenge, which season six was all about the rise of House Stark to me. So that was kind of nice to see. Arya get revenge for House Stark, and uh, that was cool. But then we see uh, John and Arya on the battlements of Winterfell, and um, Isis. We talked a bit about this um, on the final podcast of the season, and we had um, John basically, without saying "I forgive you," he basically forgave her for not telling him about for him, for her not telling him about the Armory of the Veil. He's like, we just got to trust each other. We have a lot of enemies, and we just need to trust, trust each other. And he kisses her on the forehead. And that was a really, really nice moment. It, it was a really nice moment, but had he had been talking to Arya, I would feel like that conversation would have really sunk in. But he was talking to Sansa. So I feel like, again... <laughs> in one yeah, ear and out the other. <laughs> yeah, it just went yeah, one through one ear and out the, uh, the other. I feel like the only thing she heard was that she's going to get her mom and dad's room back. That's all she heard. <laughs> it's like talking to my seven-year-old <laughs> child, okay? I have a seven-year-old son, and that's what I felt like. it was. It, talking to Sansa is like talking to her. And so um, I really hope that that's not the case. I really hope that she does genuinely come to him and tell him hey this is what's going on i i really hope that she tells you know john about yo um little finger came to me and approached me and these are his plans this is what his what his grand plan is and what are we going to do about that well she did say she did say only a fool will trust well and i understand that but you cannot talk in like fucking vague you know, like, oh, well, you know, only a fool will... Tr- will. Well, she also said that Littlefinger sold her to the Boltons. I, I just... But that's the thing, is that I feel like that John will not make a move on Littlefinger, um, especially since he brought that the, the Army of the Vale with him, unless Sansa okayed it. If Sansa said, look, we need to go and do something about Littlefinger, let's go ahead and cut this motherfucker out... And I think he'd be like, yes, let's do this. And, and Tormund would be like, yes, let's do this because he don't give a shit. But look, man, look, check this out. Look, uh, Bron, uh, Bron, is it Jan Bronze or Bronze Jan? Bronze Jan Royce Bronze Jan is, Royce. There, is there at Winterfell, and he, he helped declare Jon uh, King of the North, which is kind of weird, but whatever. He's there with the Army of the Vale, and the Vale Knights respect uh, Bronze Jan, okay? They do. And all John's got to do is go to Bronze Jan and say, "You know my father," and um, Littlefinger's a snake in the grass. I'm gonna kill him for selling 
for selling my sister to the Boltons. Will you support me? <laughs> and and they'll go kill Littlefinger. They'll stab him. And Bronn John will take control of the Knights of the Veil. But John Boom. is not going to go ahead and make a move on Littlefinger because John's John may not be legitimately Ned Stark's son, but he is Ned Stark's son. We saw that in the Battle of the Bastards. He charged across the field just like Ned Stark was. Like an idiot. Let, let's remember. I feel like we're talking about how Sansa's dumb. Like people, John was a moron. <laughs> Like, yes, he, I agree 100%. Maybe Sansa should kill him and take uh, – <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not no, you know what, what John should do? He should, he should marry Lyanna Mormont and freaking stop listening to Sansa, and I think that the fucking Starks actually have a chance. Now, maybe Sansa's married Lyanna Mormont. That's not the John. Well, that's true, <laughs> too. I, I think I'd be down for that, too. Queens in the North. May Sansa Queen's off to North. torment and have some fiery red-headed idiots. And <laughs> oh, yeah. It's by fire. That's right. Yep. All right, so let's let's get to the Tower of Joy scene really quick because I feel like we, we really need to talk about this before we end this podcast. We had Uncle Benjen Hands deposit uh, uh, Bran and Mira off right in front of the wall, which is kind of a dick move because he didn't really bring them all the way to the wall, <laughs> but he dropped them off just far enough where – they gotta drag him up to the wall. Anyway, um, he Bran goes to the heart tree, which I I believe it was the same heart tree that John and Sam said their words in front of. Correct. In one. And um, Bran touches the tree, and he has his last vision of the season, and he sees his father, young Ned, run up to the Tower of Joy. And, and by the way, Isis, I want to give you props. You were absolutely correct. That was. Arthur Dane's sword that that he dropped off in in the he brought Arthur Arthur Dane's sword with him into the room. That was uh, I went back and paused because many of the commenters in our podcast that I posted the final podcast they said they they said yes Isis is correct that is a sword. So so, went back so and, wait does that mean that Arthur Dane's sword is somewhere in Winterfell? Or he deposited it at Starfall when he brought it back because in the books he brings it back. Oh to right Starfall. okay. Well, the, so, the significance uh, of it, though, that you got, you still haven't hit on, is that Azora High is born under a burning star. Under a burning star. And Dawn is has a sun on it, so it's a star, and it was covered in blood from a battle, right? So that's what. Yeah. Yeah, I've read oh, enough the, of that on. What the? Since yeah. when did you read the books? I thought Sorry, you didn't know how to read. No, no, no. They finished. They finished my sentence. I said I read enough of that on Reddit this week. Reddit. So, oh. Okay. Like, good oh, God. That's and, but I wanted, I wanted that's to give ISIS stuff right there. I wanted to give ISIS the props for bringing that up on our on our podcast for the finale. Shizzle. ISIS is all like, over that. I didn't even notice it. No, see, and I cannot even take credit for it because I saw someone tweet it uh, while we were doing our live tweet um, for Winter is Coming, and I felt like I was like, okay, this is important, but I really cannot research this while we're doing the live tweet right now. So I'm just going to go ahead and save this so that way I can research it. And then that's when I went ahead and looked at it and asked the question on the podcast, like, okay, what's the significance of this? And then our wonderful people who comment on the Winter is Coming podcast uh, review thread or whatever you want to call it, comment <laughs> thread, uh, they were the ones who – and I want to I want to – specify who it was it was actually lady J. I just looked it up thank you so much for explaining it uh what the significance was because i really didn't understand it either uh, but after she explained it it made 
a lot more sense. And, and again, I'm not a book reader. It was just something that I saw on Twitter that someone had made a comment about. And I felt like, okay, well, this is really important, but I'm not a book reader, and I'm just going to have to research this later. And um, so anyway, props to all of the, the people who tweet during the live tweets. It's awesome. Thank you so much. And then also the commenters on our podcast thread uh, for On Winter is Coming. Yep. So anyway, uh, he brings in – he's still carrying Arthur Dane's sword. Um, he, he leans it on the bed. Uh, obviously, John's born under Arthur Dane's sword, which has the, the, the sun, the star, whatever, on the, on the hilt, and it's blood on it. And um, – we see we see baby John born. Uh, Liana leans up and whispers into Ned's ear. We don't hear the name. There's been a lot of people try to read her lips. Nobody's actually been able to to to, to um, decipher what she says. There's lots of theories that his name is actually Amon or Aegon or Jaehaerys. Jamon. But Jamon <laughs> or Ajon. But um, it's uh, you know whatever. Um, but we do know we do know that she said, "Don't tell Robert, or he'll kill him." So, something along those lines, um, and promise me Ned, which is the big thing. Promise me Ned. And then, of course, the next day, Game of Thrones, the Game of Thrones web blog came out and connected the dots for us. Lyanna and Rhaegar equals John. So R plus L does in fact equal John. Of course, in the show, we have baby the baby cut away to John in, in the Great Hall of Winterfell, and um, there you go. Baby John was born at the Tower of Joy from Lyanna Mormont, and um, he is not actually Ned's son. And that was a big, humongous reveal in a season full of humongous reveals, right, Dan? We had the creation of the White Walkers. Creation of the White Walkers. We had uh, John's, you know, not Ned Stark's son. We had some other stuff. It was a big, jam-packed season. Yeah, it was a good time. It was amazing. Um... But, also, but but getting back to this great hall of uh, of of curmudgeonly uh, lords in the in the in the, in the great hall of Winterfell, uh, nobody 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 seemed happy. They were all like, "Let's just go, let's go back to our homes. Let's wait out the long night, the the winter." And uh, once again, it was our favorite ten year old uh, northern lord who spoke up for John, and. Uh, she she called John. She's I don't care that he's a bastard. He's got Ned Stark's blood running to him, and he's my king, and he's the king of the north. And then we had a uh, a much skinnier Lord Manderley than I thought he would be, but he stands up and he says that John, um, John avenged the Red Wedding. Although I don't know how he did that. I guess by killing Ramsay somehow. But Boltons, whatever. Jesus Christ. The Boltons. Yeah. He didn't really kill any Bolton. He but anyway, the main Bolton, the, the one the that Bolton. was in. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway. Um, Maybe that's why Santa thought he didn't get credit. She was the one who killed Ramsay. If, if he really wanted to get, if he really wanted to avenge the Red Wedding, he should have killed the phrase, but whatever. Anyway, uh, he's the White Wolf now. They get proclaimed him the White Wolf, and he's the King of the North. The King of the North! And uh, Jon Snow is now the King of the North and the leader of everything. And we know how so. well that went last time. We all know how. And after that, that, when he was Lord Commander, so that's twice. Third time's gonna be bad, also. <laughs> oh God! Don't say that, man. Don't say it. It better be. It better not end happily. There's a point of view. But now, but now we've got Dan. But the 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 everything ended with Theon looking up at the at the uh, Greyjoy banner, 
flapping in the wind. It finally catches the wind, and we see the the Targaryen armada sailing across the narrow sea. Danny's dragon, Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal flying across the sea, their wings tipping the water as they fly past the boats. You see the Unsullied. You see the, the Dothraki. You see Tyrell ships. You see Martell ships. And you see Targaryen ships. And we finally see the head ship with the big dragon mast, uh, or prow. And you see Daenerys, uh, Varys, which, by the way, freaked Dan out a little bit. It freaked the internet and, out, okay. <laughs> And you, you guys are the only people that freaked that out about it because, like, I totally got it. Like, I had to. Look, I got it too. I, I, I like. I had to get a map. I got it. I'm not gonna I, lie. I, I, I'm I, not gonna lie. It wasn't just me. There are a lot of memes out there. The internet also was a little askance. But I, well, I accept it though. It's fine. I accept it. It's okay. Yeah. I get it. It took me a minute. But it, it was one of those situations where I was like, okay, I need to look at a map real quick and see where the hell, you know, basically. Um, he went ahead and rounded up the girls and said, let's get in formation. And halfway then, around the world. Halfway around the world. That's where it is. But oh, it, it's yeah. on It's on the freaking mm. way. It's on the freaking way. So, like, it didn't It didn't really blow my mind. I mean, it, when I was live tweeting, yeah, I was like, how the hell did he get there so quickly? Um, but then, when, like I said, I, I looked at the, the maps and everything of where everything was, and I was like, oh, well, he's, like, actually on the way. So, I'm it like, like – It was like six months. Yeah. Like six months. But still, I mean, he didn't have to go back to Meereen and yeah. then get on the boat and stuff like that. No, they could just – picked him up on the on the way and i i was completely fine with it after i saw a map no 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 no. you're missing the point you're missing the point varies as a mermaid <laughs> okay I mean, at the end of the day oh, right. it's 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 like the blackfish being cuddled great it's a minor point all i'm fine all right so uh does anybody else have anything they want to say before we wrap up our part two of the season six, uh, the season six pre- review, I guess you want to call it the review. I, I would like to say something really quick, if you guys don't mind. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to say thank you for everybody who live tweets the episode with us, who has downloaded our podcast on iTunes or or whatever you download it from from the website or whatever the case. The people who comment on the website, you guys, I mean. I, I don't get paid to do this. I do this because it's fun and it's because of you guys. So um, thank you so much for doing this and staying with us through this off season. So please keep on reading Winter is Coming and, of course, listening to our podcast throughout the off season. And share it with your friends. Spread the word. Like, subscribe, and share. And Wait a second. We don't pay for this? No, at least I don't. Oh, <laughs> Wait, damn hang on, it. hang on. You guys haven't been getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> I pay Corey phone and sex. I don't know. Oh, I, I, I mean, I just would. The, the only thing I'd say about season six is I kind of liked uh, some of the smaller, more minor moments that they did this season. Um, I like the the little moment that John Santa had up on the battlement. Um, I like the the crush scene and inside the, uh, the bastards, just small scenes like that seem to kind of, kind of stand out this season a little bit more than they had, um, in the past. I mean, John and Sansa's reunion at castle black, that was, you know, just the hug and everything. So I definitely rank it, uh, second overall, just behind season four. So I don't know how, how you guys feel. 
Jeez. Annie? Um, I, I would actually agree with Corey because I think season four was the best season of them all. Um, I know that there are people who definitely disagree with that, but I actually right now think that season four and season six are two of the best seasons ever. Um, what struck me about this season most, though, is that Game of Thrones turned the tables on us again after five seasons of making us expect the unexpected at all times and never trusting them to do what we want. They took that distrust that they have fostered in us for five years and they used it against us and went absolutely, completely conventional. And we didn't expect it. And it was the most unexpected thing they could have done. Mm. Dan? Uh, well, first, thanks for letting me come on here, guys. You, you, you do a great job every week. I always love listening to you. And um, I really enjoyed the season. I think it was a little more conventional. I I think that if we're going to – I think it, because we're going towards an ending, that's why it's going to be a little more predictable because they've had the fun with the first five seasons or four or three, five, where they kind of went against the grain and did things that were unexpected and um, kind of uh, genre-breaking. And now that they've earned our trust, now, now that that's how they cooked us, now they can kind of go forward and drive toward a more traditional ending that they really have us in the seat. And um, I think it's going to be a really great run to the finish. And I think the season will ramp things up nicely. I agree. Season one is the best. I, I, I agree. I still love season one. Corey Thone, give me your final thoughts. Uh, are we ranking seasons? or No, we just started. You don't have to. Yeah, course. just whatever your final thoughts in the season is. Two, six, one, four, three, five. Look at it. Uh, it was a great season, I thought. Uh, it was a little predictable, which I was very much in favor of. Uh, yeah. As someone, and I'm sure Annie felt this way as well, as someone who like really enjoys story structure and foreshadowing and things like that. She talks about Shakespeare all the time, and he was the best at that. Um, as someone who is like, all right, so this is where it should go, but this is what we should see this season. We kind of saw all of it. And I was like, great. That's what I wanted. Uh, the thing is, when it's all said and done... Uh, I don't need a show to constantly take a shit on me. I do want it to have a – it is fiction. I know that it's like, oh, but it's in this alternate reality, and it's like nobody's safe. Well, screw that, man. I I don't want it to end terribly. I'd like for the people I like to win. Sorry. Screw me, I guess, because I don't watch stuff to feel bad. And Game of Thrones, like Dan said, did a great job of being different when they had this very expendable large cast. But now – I think we are going to start seeing some pretty straightforward shit happen, and I'm fine with that. Like that's fine storytelling to me. It's no different than, I mean, The Wire is for is always considered maybe, or Breaking Bad is even more linear. Breaking Bad is one of the best shows of all time. If you couldn't predict the last two seasons of that show, then you don't understand story structure. But <laughs> that didn't change the fact it was great. So, amen. Well, I'll say this, and I'll wrap it up. Uh, Season 6 probably was my favorite of the series, and I love Season 4, and I love Season 1. But um, I love Season 6 for the fact that it was the reemergence of House Stark. And I've always been a House Stark loyalist. I've always said I'm from the North. And I love the fact that Jon Snow uh, came back the way he did, even though it wasn't through, through Ghost. I just love the fact that they just did everything they did with House Stark. I'm happy that uh, we had little moments, like Corey Smith said, with uh, John giving Sansa a kiss on the forehead. And when he said, uh, uh, well, Father always promised, and he smiled, that was just so nice. Things, Little moments like that were great. Um, there were just 
just some amazing moments in this season, and I was just so pleased with how it turned out. Even the slow episodes, there were some great moments from. And season six turned out just about as, as good as it possibly could, could turn out. And we have so long to wait for season seven that I imagine I'll be watching season six over and over and over again and picking it apart again and again and again. So, um, for all my panel, thanks for joining us this season. We will be doing every week. We'll, we'll be doing more and more uh, episodes. Um, we'll be we'll be bringing you news from filming, from Comic Con, from anything we can come up with. We'll be ranking uh, houses. We'll be ranking different other episodes. We'll be bringing you uh, filming location news, what the actors are doing in the off season. So please continue to tune in to take the black. Every week, um, sometimes we'll be recording on Monday, and you'll get the episode on Wednesday. Sometimes, due to schedule changes, it will be a little bit later in the week. But just make sure to tune in to winnerscoming.net and look for it. Uh, usually on Wednesday, it will be there. So for all my team, for Annie, for Isis, for Corey Force of His Name Phone, for Corey Smith, and for our sometimes guest, the editor-in-chief of Winners Coming, Dan Selke, I'm your host, Razor, with a lot of mobulas. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.